0: with your host, Captain Jack, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at the socially distant APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 25th of March, 2020. In today's episode, the control tower at Chicago's Midway International Airport shuts down after personnel contract the coronavirus. An earthquake grounds flights at Salt Lake City's airport. More news, your feedback, and in today's plane tales, the A320. So get all settled in. crank tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger. Flight 418 is ready for pushback.
2: Thank you, Radio Roger, a real live radio professional, our favorite. uh, He is in New York City, the largest radio market in the world at 1010 Winds. All right. I am Captain Jeff. I'm an airline pilot and a guy, uh, hence airline pilot guy. And you have, fine listeners, stumbled upon one of the fine radio, actually radio, no, Uh, fine aviation podcasts out there and uh, I'm a captain for a major shrinking (laughs) US legacy carrier based here in Atlanta and joining me today from her lakeside home in the Carolinas skydiver marathon runner strength training junkie IPA connoisseur and commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot dr. Steph
3: hey captain Jeff it is so good to see you this week um I think we're maintaining acceptable social distance here these days as we always have really for the most part. On the I RPG. know
2: these squares are kind of close together though. I'm kind of I getting know, nervous. I know.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Well. <laughs> All right. We'll do then. what we can. Yes, we'll do our best and also joining us from across the pond a, a suitable distance. Uh, From his studio in the English countryside, professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired captain for an international airline based in London, it's Captain Nick.
4: Hi there, Jeff, and uh, hi everyone else. Uh, What an amazing time to be uh, locked down when the weather here in the United Kingdom is so beautiful. If it was miserable outside, I wouldn't mind so much. But there you go. Life's like that.
2: Life is like that. And also... Joining us from the Northwest Atlanta suburbs, barbecue master, motorcycle rider, pleasure boat skipper, underwater photographer, and captain for another shrinking major U.S. legacy carrier, Captain Dana.
5: Hey, everybody. Great to be back another episode here. And uh, looking forward to talking about all this fun stuff we've got going on.
2: Yes. And uh, unfortunately, uh, Miami Rick, Captain Rick, can't make it... To- today because he's still in training and uh, he is m- having a great time, I'm sure, right now in the simulator down in Miami. Probably not. <laughs> Sweating profusely, <Yeah>. I presume.
4: <laughs> That's something I don't envy him right
2: now. No, I do
4: not. Mm-hmm.
2: either. But
3: I think he's nearing the end of, of this uh, training block. Yes, yes,
2: he is getting closer to the end, the light at the end of the tunnel and all that. Well, let's move on to... Let's the
4: hope it doesn't turn out to be a train. Yeah, <laughs> that would be a bad thing.
6: Stand by for news...
2: This first item in the news folder is um, some audio.
7: Midway Airport's control tower. Update March 17, 2227 Zulu. Midway airspace has reverted to Class classical airspace. The tower has been evacuated and is currently closed. Common traffic advisory frequency is 135.2. One-minute weather is available via phone at 773 884 Two four are currently unable to provide IFR service off the ground. If you to depart via farm request IFR services, may be received from Chicago Tracon frequency one two eight point two.
2: Well, there you go. That was actually happening the day we recorded our last show, episode four seventeen last week. And uh, apparently, somebody—I uh, guess one of the contractors or techs or something—was
3: someone else working in the tower. It wasn't a controller. I think. I think there was more than one person potentially um and they were I infected
2: with the uh covid-19 mhm mm-hmm. yeah so they said okay we're out of here <laughs> good luck everybody <laughs> now i've been did you get a
3: chance to go back and listen in to uh live no, atc I,
2: I was uh i was watching people talk about that i have not heard it myself have you listened to it uh Steph?
3: yeah briefly um it, it's i mean everyone's doing a great job and they're using it the uh, the way it's supposed to be used it just like any other you know, uncontrolled, classy airport. Um, it's just interesting to hear it when it's mostly large jets coming in, or yeah, you're used to hearing 7.
2: like November nine nine five. Yeah, Charlie exactly. Alpha.
3: Not you know Southwest, <laughs> whatever. And um, it's kind of funny because I think you can tell the uh, the pilots who are used to flying more uh, GA yeah. uh, on a more regular basis, and those who are not, um, just by their confidence in the the calls that they're making.
2: Right. Yeah. How am I supposed to do this again?
3: And the frequency. Some people were like every two seconds, like making a call. I'm like, okay, I think people know where you are. Yeah, but it's okay. okay. it's good.
2: Yeah, thank you.
3: Better, better safe than sorry, I suppose.
4: Yeah, um, yeah. This would have been a nightmare for me because I haven't a clue what you guys <laughs> do when you do this stuff. So, I mean, are there any international flights going in out of Midway? Yeah, on- Porter
3: and Valeris. Porter from uh, Canada and Valeris from Mexico.
4: Okay, but they're more likely North to be familiar. American. I kind of yeah. meant European or perhaps Australian nah, no, no, not Xeno- to be way.
2: Xenophobic person, you.
4: <laughs> well, I'm just thinking the familiarity with how this works because uh, a lot of them would have been gone, yeah. thrown, you know, just throw your toys out the cot. What the hell is going on?
2: I give up. We're not going yeah. anywhere. Someone just play
4: at being a controller, you know.
2: <laughs> One of you just do circles
4: over the top and tell us where to go.
2: Um, now one of the interesting things there was they said, you know, if you can depart VFR and then pick up your IFR, once you're airborne, you can do that. And that's one of the things that Dana and I can do, uh, our standard operating procedures allow for us to do that. And this would be a situation where it would be okay for us to do so, uh, not just out of convenience, but out of necessity to take off out of midway. Um, you know, just taking off as long as you have the visual flight rules or the VMC, uh, Weather, then you can do that, and then pick it up pretty quickly after you take off, right, Dana? Correct.
4: Okay. I'm just curious, though, if you go off VFR uh, and you can't get a clearance, what do you do then?
2: Well, you maintain VFR, and then if I guess you if you can't, uh, you, you you can only you have to stay within a certain.
4: 35 miles. I 35? Well, I know that's uh, for, uh, that uh, make, I for... I think for a company policy is 35. 35. I thought you might be, might be able to go the whole way to your destination no. at 1,500 no. feet. That'd be <laughs> so cool.
2: You <laughs> might have some splaining to do if you did that. <laughs> you wouldn't, then
5: you'd
4: have to have, have a few fuel, a fuel stops GA as If well. GA
3: aircraft, you can do that as long as you don't stray into some other airspace somewhere.
4: Yeah. Dana makes a uh, good you point. You can pop in halfway and take some gas. I'm sure someone, no to, one would mind. You know, to
2: get up to the altitudes that we need to go to to have the proper fuel consumption... Uh, Would require being up in the uh, uh, what we used to call the positive space airspace, uh, or the what do we call it, class one now, class A?
3: Acme doesn't have any short flights out of Midway, not to like um, Minneapolis or something. I don't or, think so.
5: Uh, yeah, but we still, I mean, if you go at 10, you know, 10,000 feet, then you're gonna burn a lot of go go juice. Yeah, well, yeah. that's
3: true. I think you could make it though.
5: No, yeah, maybe no? I don't know. Get up uh, to feet 000, an five and, and then
2: you could probably make it.
5: I mean, we were, we were, we came out of uh, Dayton yesterday, and they kept us at uh, 10,000 feet until we got south of Cincinnati because of the situation in Indy Center. Um, and I was looking at the fuel consumption at 8,000 pounds per hour uh, hmm. at, at that low altitude. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, we're just not going to make it very far if,
2: if we don't start climbing. Now, if you plan for it ahead of time. Plan for okay. it, sure. Yeah, yeah
3: but, that's what I meant. I didn't yeah. mean, you know. But it's if you really find yourself
2: crazy. in the yeah. situation that Dana's in and they don't let you up any higher, then yeah, that uh, would be bad. Then that sucks.
5: certainly you sat looking at it. You sat thinking, okay, how long can I stay down here before I'm starting to think that I'm not going to make it to Atlanta?
1: Mm-hmm.
5: And uh, <clears throat> fortunately, we not only were planned at a lower altitude initially, anyways at twenty two thousand, um, but the rides are much nicer up high. So climbed up to uh, thirty three thousand feet and had plenty of fuel. Excellent. Mm-hmm. We're glad you made it. Uh, in one piece, fortunately.
3: Yes.
2: Okay. Well, um, so interesting stuff going on. Uh, things that- And uh, they did
3: have to um, put up a TFR to prevent people from doing like uh, general aviation touch and goes or laps in the pattern <laughs> at midway because apparently they had a problem with that initially after oh, this I first started. It. Yeah. Someone got, out, someone got out there Yay. in their bug <laughs> smasher and was, you know, like doing touch and goes. At, <laughs>
1: It's like a chance of a lifetime
2: airport? to do something we'll never, ever get to do again. <laughs> yeah. <well. laughs> All right. Um, well, if that weren't enough, um, how about this? A FedEx
1: 3687. With the take off.
2: ATZ
7: Zero, Salt Lake Tower. ATZ Zero, Salt Lake Tower.
1: Dauer, FedEx Attention all aircraft, Salt Lake City Tower declaring
7: ATC zero. Salt Lake City Tower ATC zero due to earthquake trigger. Salt Lake City traffic, Delta 2060. Approaching taxiway, Lima across 16 left. Traffic on 16 left, please advise. Salt Lake City area traffic, Delta 2060. Crossing 16 left at Lima. Salt Lake City traffic, please advise. Salt Lake city area
2: traffic delta twenty sixty clear the ramp. so that uh, is a good example of the way you do it right
3: yep that's exactly what you do, yeah,
2: so I bet this um, person had some experience uh, flying in on non towered fields in g a aircraft I bet sure,
3: yeah, so this happened actually Wednesday last week, I see the note there, but it was on Wednesday because. I know this because my siblings all live in Salt Lake City and I got a text from several of them all at the same time um, with some expletives and the word earthquake. Um, it woke them up from from sleep at about seven o'clock in the morning. Um,
2: I have a little bit more uh, audio if you want to hear some oh, of the yeah, stuff that yeah, was yeah. happening during Okay, I just stopped in the middle of it, but uh, Sorry, keep No, going. no, no, you'll you'll get to hear some of the uh, excitement.
6: Yeah, once anybody up you've had an earthquake at Salt Lake Tower. Uh, that's why the Transformers are blown. Yeah, uh, it was shaking pretty bad. Uh, right now, one six right is just clearing from one R day, landing at your own risk. ATC zero.
7: Roger that, sir. Yeah, it was pretty scary. Yeah, you should have seen all the transformers going out.
1: Stay safe out there.
2: So, as you said, um, Steph, the earthquake caused yeah, a little bit was- of pandemonium. He's talking about the electrical electrical transformers blowing up and.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this was a 5.7 magnitude earthquake, which is not a not a small earthquake. Um, I guess a lot of people may not know, but the Salt Lake Valley is crisscrossed by a whole network of fault lines. Um, the biggest, well, the most well-known one being the Wasatch Fault, which is right along the mountains on the east side of the valley. Um, but this earthquake actually happened, um, the epicenter was, f- what did they say, four miles north-northeast of the town of Magna. So um, I don't know if you probably don't know where Magna is, um, but it's on the northwest corner of the Salt Lake Valley. So four miles north northeast is basically the airport.
8: Oh, so How it was centered that? right there. Oh, perfect. So they
3: had some more more damage there than they had in other parts of the valley.
2: Wow. Well, so we have coronavirus outbreaks. We have um, we have earthquakes, and what's next? Um, maybe what's that? Oh no swarms of locusts you're kidding me <laughs> you,
3: you laugh about this however can i tell you my locust story actually yes, i don't know do. what they were um i was driving across town and this was the day after the earthquake um and i had just washed my car because um, we were mentioning before the show that it has become pollen season here in the southeast of the united states so my car was covered in this nice you know layer of yellow pollen. So I ran through the car wash and then I was driving back across town and I drove through this huge swarm of bugs. Like it was like a cloud of bugs and I can only assume that they were locusts because Mm. what else would they be?
2: What else? (laughs) (laughs) Um, We we should mention also that they had uh, the same kind of issues with the coronavirus infection or threat of in uh, the New York market. Uh, I believe JFK and several of the surrounding Airports, um, I guess it included LaGuardia, um, Westchester, and others up in the New York City area that had to shut down because of uh, uh, coronavirus-related uh, uh, fears. So it crazy. Also, Las Vegas. Yeah, well, oh, that's right. Las Vegas is the same thing. And
3: Indianapolis Center.
2: So I hear that uh, Las Vegas and Midway are both still operating non-towered operations and um, are... Good friend and fellow podcaster, Dispatcher Mike, uh, said that he received something from uh, ACME that said uh, – reminding the dispatchers to remind air crews landing at these places that they remember to cancel their IFR uh, clearance because it causes a problem for other people. Otherwise,
3: they go looking for you.
2: Yeah, and Uh, also, I guess they can't technically allow somebody else to proceed via IFR to the airport, right? Yes. Kind of makes it a big mess. Yeah.
4: Okay now being from the other side of the world mm-hmm. I know ATC0 is a well now well recognised I'm not sure how uh, common it uh, well known it was uh, in previous decades uh, indication in the states that air traffic is shut down and that no service will be provided but why use a term like that which is not self-explanatory when it would be easier to say air traffic uh, control has shut down. You know, do your own thing. Right. Think up a suitable phrase. So why use a code word that is only FAA used? So you're the only country in the world, as far as I know, that has ATC zero. So I, I'm just a little bit confused. Why have a code word for that? Why not just tell people in plain language? Because that's, you, you know, I, I'm a great believer in when you're communicating, you make it plain and simple. You don't. Couch it in a term that is not necessarily self-explanatory. I'm I'm just curious.
3: I'd say that's a great question for the opposing bases, guys.
4: Yeah, <laughs> and we should send
3: them some feedback about it.
4: I get RH. However, just, he was just cold shoulder. Just let it slide off. Whoops. You know.
3: However, this this did cause problem with uh, U.S. based pilots. What was that? A few years ago, the first time this term really became
2: Baltimore uh,
3: or was used. Yes, yes, they, they had, used uh, the term thunderstorms. And went, uh, what? Yeah, yeah. H- no and one nobody knew what understood H-T-Gpeo what that was.
2: was. Yeah, in fact, yeah. we talked about it about on the show and said, "Never heard that before." Mm-mm. We had the same. We had the same question back then, Nick. Uh, but now, yeah. at least now, <laughs> when I hear it, I go, "Oh, I know what that is." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, that's <laughs> the only we, reason I know what it is is <laughs> no.
4: because I was on the show at the time, going, "Wow, that's new one on me."
2: That's a good point. Now, at least the people at uh, Midway said uh, it's now a Class E airspace. Um so yeah. that should and they have been did a say kind it
3: was of a, be a CTAF and, and yeah. all of that. So that should so they be helped a little, a little bit.
2: bit, but you're right. And they should just say, look, you, you guys are on your own. No air traffic control services. We're uh, leaving the tower. So there's yeah. nobody here to control you. You know, just use more plain language. I agree would be a, a, a better thing, by the way. Um, let's see. We have uh, Dave Gooch. Says, uh, he thinks that uh, Midway is back open now, he believes.
3: And as of 20 minutes ago, perhaps Las Vegas. As oh, well. really?
2: Wow. Okay.
3: That was from not Dave, someone else in the chat room okay, who I've forgotten.
2: Anthony. Yes. Okay, thank you, Anthony. Um, yeah. So I don't know. That's a good question, uh, Nick. But maybe the uh, the boys over at the uh, opposing bases can tackle that one. They probably have the same <laughs> the same feelings we do. I don't know.
4: Right. They'll say it's in. Um uh, AP seventy one fifty five twenty two <laughs> three dash five seventy one ten so, one ten,
3: whatever it is. Yeah,
4: exactly yeah. right. So it's there. Uh, i and like that's the answer. No, not that I have any problem with that. You know, they uh have, have to uh, use phraseology that's in their book. Yeah. I just think their book needs to be slightly <laughs> somebody throw that book away. <laughs> Improved upon. that's <laughs> yes, right. F- fine fine find noddy's uh book of um air traffic control.
2: Well, Craig Messerman do. in the YouTube chat says KLAS tower is up on live ATC. Just heard a pilot say glad to have you back. Oh, so, I bet. That's there you go. good news. Well, speaking of good news, we have even more good news. We always love these kind of good news feeling good kind of story. Feel good kind of story. There we go. Uh this one, this is item D. American Airlines reunites passenger with father just before he passes. Well, that's kind of not, that's the sad part of it. American Airlines has been in the news recently for all the wrong reasons, but uh, here's a positive story showing that there is still love within that airline. Uh, Let's see. Lori Thomas was on a business uh, on business in Virginia when she received a phone call informing her that her ailing father's condition had worsened. She immediately booked a flight back home from Dulles to Colorado Springs with a connection in Dallas. Unfortunately, her flight out of Dulles was delayed, which meant potentially missing her connection in Dallas. On the verge of tears, she wrote a note to the flight crew asking for help. Here's Lori's entire story. After receiving an emergency call while on business, okay, we just talked about that, um, not wanting to burst into tears in front of passengers, I wrote a note explaining my situation and asking if anything could be done to delay the connecting flight. The flight attendant curiously took my note to the galley and returned with the following notes. Um, and see, so, yeah, I guess, uh, on Instagram, they must've posted some pictures of those upon arrival at Dallas Fort Worth. I was whisked to an awaiting, uh, American airlines ramp vehicle on the tarmac and driven to my gate two terminals away. I made it home in time to spend an extra day with my dad, who passed away this morning. Thank you to Deanna and the captain on American Airlines 2784, and to the captain and crew on American Airlines 2347. I'm eternally grateful for your compassion and kindness. Indeed, despite what you see making headlines, kindness, compassion, and humanity does exist in the airline industry. Thank you to these American Airlines teams that went the extra mile and made this happen. Your work doesn't go unnoticed. Keep it up. So, and this is, you know, we hear these kind of stories and, and I'm sure they probably happen a lot more than just like this once in a blue moon. Uh, it's just that we don't always hear about these kind of things. And, uh, you know, we've talked about these kind of stories before on the show. So I, I guess this probably happened before this whole <laughs> coronavirus outbreak and, uh, the, uh, incredible, uh, diminishing of service Um, for all the airlines, I mean, canceled flights and everything else. I'm assuming, I don't know. Not that it makes any difference.
4: No, it doesn't. But quite often these things are just one or two people who go uh, make that special extra effort. It's often not a whole bunch of people you you find there are a few individuals suddenly realize this situation they make a few phone calls they do a few things they follow through on a story and make sure it all happens uh, the whole airline may not do that but it only takes a few individuals to make a really good story
2: that's for sure yes that is for sure well we purposely made our news folder items um small so that we could spend more time uh, answering people's feedback and also kind of talking amongst ourselves and getting to know each other. So here we go, our getting to know you segment. Mm-hmm. Getting to like you. All right. So, Dana, I'm kind of curious, um, you've been out there flying in the last few days, and I think you left on what a Saturday. Um, yes. Okay. And it's been uh, it's been interesting, yeah, huh? Tell it's us. It's
5: been very interesting. Um, I'm actually looking at my schedule right now just so I can <laughs> kind of g- get it straight and right as to what's uh, um. Well, now of course, what's this?
2: Uh oh, we're we're witnessing uh-huh. we're, we're we're experiencing news? This. We're breaking talking? news. <laughs> dun, dun, breaking news.
1: Today is the
5: twenty fifth, right? <laughs> it Great. is. Uh, I think my trip that i was supposed to go do tonight just canceled. canceled? Oh, okay. <laughs> I think oh, let, me, no. let me let me log in because I was actually going in here to take a look at my schedule because it's been so wacky. Uh, display my entire schedule. And, yep, it looks like I've got a no-op on the flight that I was going to be taking out tonight. Um, I was supposed to go to Omaha, leaving and it's going to leave the house about 8 o'clock, because I think it was like a 9.20 duty and a 9.19 this evening, 21.19. Anyways, uh, let's go back to Saturday. I started my four-day trip on Saturday, um, and that I was uh, going round-trip to... I'm pulling it up here. Uh, I did a round trip to Baltimore uh, Saturday morning, then went to my Omaha layover. And I had uh, in process going to Omaha, was notified that my last day of the trip, which was supposed to be uh, Houston uh, deadhead to, no, that was Philadelphia. Uh, I was supposed to fly to Houston and deadhead the, the next morning back, that was canceled. So they moved my four-day to a three-day. So when they did that, I went ahead and picked up this Omaha trip in the overnight um, hours. I put in a uh, pickup request for this one lay out and one-leg back. And during the overnight, they went ahead and instead of me going to Omaha – Uh, I mean, coming back from Omaha, I was supposed to go from Omaha to Atlanta. Then I was supposed to do a Charleston round trip. And then Charleston to Philadelphia, that got all dropped. And I ended up coming back to Atlanta and having the uh, trip end when I got back to Atlanta. So I no longer did the Charleston round trip. They were having me deadhead to Philadelphia, Philadelphia, um, fly Philadelphia back to Atlanta. And that's when I was supposed to be done after my First reroute down to a three day. So then they took all of that away, and I came back to Atlanta on Sunday morning and ended up um, being done on Sunday. So then I had what's called uh, recovery flying. So you're basically on reserve um, for the original time. But because I had actually picked up another two day over the, the dropped um over the dropped uh 4 day i picked up a 2 day so they actually never assigned me recovery flying on the 4 day it was only for the 2 day because when i picked up that 2 day which is um yeah was was on monday because i saw that that was going to be available so so no the the 2 day
4: like, if, was, just if, you're having trouble,
2: if you're having trouble, <laughs> did it's, it's someone just, put
4: subtitles <laughs> up so I know what the hell? <laughs> I know, is it's great. I as far <laughs>
3: as like the first. Day.
2: I'm even having so, trouble so understanding so the, what The, the moral of
5: the story is looking at my current schedule. I mean, this is just crazy. It, the airline is absolutely complete and total chaos and meltdown. So, the moral of the story is, is that I flew a two day, well, four day was was supposed to be four day, it turned out to be a two day on Saturday and Sunday. Then I would picked up another trip, and that Ultimately, a month a Monday dropped, and they put me on recovery flying on Monday, and I also have the trip that I was supposed to leave on tonight now now has been taken away, so I don't know when I'm flying again. <laughs> 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 so it it's uh, <clears throat> it's been very interesting. But however, when I did arrive in Omaha, I had a very nice uh, note that was handed to me. Um, the next morning, uh, not when I was. Well, did I arrive? Was no. It's when I was heading out of Omaha the next morning. I had a note left for me. It says, "For Captain Dana on Flight 1098." Hey, Captain Dana, APG listener here. I I commuted in a little too late to catch him. I love the podcast and really appreciate the content you guys put out. Times are tough, but better days are on the horizon. We will get through this together. Safe travels and tailwinds, Tate, first officer at uh, Skywest. Oh, sweet. And also that morning when I was, uh, you know, sh- you know, showed showed my first officer this note that I got, and he was quite amazed. Uh, my flight attendants were actually quite amazed, and one of the flight attendants actually wanted the name of the podcast and wants to listen. And while I was sitting there talking to the gate agent, the gate agent seemed. Um, interested in what was going on. So I started talking with him and Zach in Omaha, uh, 19 years old, very, very eager. Uh, is already learning how to fly and is uh, on the the um on the path to become a professional airline pilot. So I recommended that he go ahead and, and keep in touch with me. And and I gave him some words of advice because he was very um, disgruntled and, and kind of bummed out about what's going on in the world right now. And I said, you know, Zach, you're 19 years old. You can't even be hired by an airline yet. You've got plenty of time and things will rebound. Yeah, this
2: is going to recover. Yeah. The,
5: the, the, it, it, and so... You know, right right now, it's uh, as we've always said in, in the podcast, especially myself, that um, things are tough and they're going to be tough as a result of, of of what's going on for a while. But you know, guys, keep your heads, you know, keep your heads down, and keep on, go, keep on working because it's it's gonna it's gonna turn around eventually. Yeah. That so that's been realizing. my week so far.
2: Now yeah, I guess so- I'm not going to work tonight because I was getting ready to go. <laughs> to work tonight. Well, it's nice we get to, so you can kind of stay with us for the whole show and you can kind of chill a little bit.
5: Yeah. Now I'm going to try to find something else to pick up because <laughs> <Okay. laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm at, uh, uh over hundred hours worth of credit. I mean, you know, the reality is, is, is the writing's on, on the wall for me. Um, I,
2: you got to save some of that money for the rest of us.
5: Yeah. Well, I, I <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I don't think I have to worry about losing my job necessarily, you know, cause if, if I get laid off, Uh, ACME and every other airline in the country will be in really, really, really big Mm -hmm. doo-doo. But I think it's very likely now that I will be back to first officer. Um, But we'll, we'll, you know, in time and only in time, it's going to take probably a good four to six months for this thing to wash out. But I think uh, while I can, and I am still a captain, I'm going to try to get as much, uh, dollars in the pocket and try to fly as much as i can because i'm going to miss the mighty dog yeah speaking
2: it. of that we've been watching things happening we've already talked about the fact that the uh, mad dog at acme has been slated for retirement and the original schedule had said by the end of this year you know december of 2020 all the 88's gone and then sometime in 2022 uh, I mean, 2021, maybe into 2022, we'd still be flying the uh, the MD-90 model of the Mad Dog. And, uh, of course, now because of this whole outbreak here in the U.S., they've uh, rapidly um, accelerated the retirement schedule and um, parked a bunch of other airplanes as well. Um, though That's a temporary thing for those airplanes. But for the airplanes that are being, quote, unquote, parked, um, as far as the mad dogs, the details are concerned. I don't believe those are going to be coming back. I think Dana and I were talking about before we recorded the show, some communication from one of the people that knows something about this, that, um, by the end of, I guess for the summertime, they're thinking there might be 20, um, MD-88s still flying. All the MD-90s gone by the end of April and, um, perhaps sometime in the fall, they'll retire the remaining um, 88. So sometime in the fall, it's likely that there are no MD-88s and MD-90s left at all on the property for Acme Airlines, and they're not coming back. So now a lot of you have, and I think maybe some of our feedback um, covers this, so I don't want to get too much into this, but don't worry. Um, it Just because the mad dogs are going away doesn't mean that Dana and I are on the street. It's not the way it works in our system. We'll just be Um, it's all based on our seniority and so we just get displaced to another aircraft and then based on our seniority and what we request we fly whatever airplane that we can fly Uh, for me that probably means um going down to the uh, boeing 717 or the McDonnell douglas 95 actually so it's just another uh variant of the uh, dc9 mad dog series of airplanes um and uh so uh, don't worry about me, I'll I'll still be fine. And while all this happens while they figure out how to get everybody retrained and such uh, could be that I'll be having a little bit of time off, but they still pay us because we have a contract. And uh, that's you know, one of the things that having a union and having a contract does for you It re- it makes sure that you're not just left there holding the bag with nothing in the bag. So we will, you know, we're going to be okay. We're going to be paid, unless the company <laughs> entirely goes under. Uh, then, then we're all out on the street. So that's the way that works. Um, so Dana is probably. I think he said something about perhaps uh, downgrading to first officer. Uh, he might have to out of necessity, and uh, I think he uh, he'll he'll tell us um, for sure. But I think he's talking about maybe going over toward the. Uh, the other side of the uh, spec, the Boeing Airbus spectrum, and probably uh, betting for a first officer on the, uh, on the Airbus. Is that right, Dana?
5: Yeah. I mean, my, my plan, I I may have a choice of uh, staying as captain, but more than likely I would uh, have to commute to New York is be my guess at this point, depending on, uh, you know, how, how deep they cut and, and what they offer I mean it's still very very fluid right now as to whether they're they're uh, they're really trying to protect i've been I've been watching some of the internal memos they're really trying to protect uh, the pilots and, and not furlough in any in any way shape or form if they can avoid it um, but the reality is is uh, you know we don't know what, what this is going to look like right now right. so uh, they're also, you know, that they've also said that that early retirements have not been offered. They're not uh, off the table, but they're really steering away from them if they can. Um, so, I, I, I'm starting to read into some of the things there. You now, they they we have the opportunity for what's called a SIL, or I think is what's SIL stand for. Anyway, um, so basically,
2: special incentive lines.
5: Yeah, But special no, they, the to,
2: latest thing I heard, heard was that they have taken all those off the table.
5: They have taken those off the table as well. Mm-hmm. So I I have a, a sneaking suspicion that uh, they're probably seeing or thinking there's going to be some type of turnaround here, uh, you know, and, and – now that there's uh, very few, or uh, I, don't, I haven't looked at the news in the last day or so, but you know, over in China and in uh, Korea, that they haven't had any new cases. If that that's the last I heard, so I, I think the, the 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 overall effect will be long term uh, rebuilding, but I, I I think it's going to start turning around here. That's my guess. Could be. I'm uh-huh. just kind, of, and, and I'm just reading between the lines. I'm I'm not right. you know I'm just kind of surmising what by the actions and I could be completely wrong I don't know
2: Paul in the uh, Facebook uh, chat room says roll back to the age 60 mandatory retirement nope never going to see no. that this is no. going to be this is a bump in the road everything is going to recover they're going to be back in the same situation a few years from now where they're going to need pilots <laughs> so um, they don't want to shoot themselves in the foot um, they they have to be ready To For all of us to be qualified and to start getting back in those cockpits and flying airplanes. So, um, yeah. Uh, No, I I don't think the opposite uh, end of the spectrum either, Paul. Going to age 70, I don't see that coming either. So, I think they're going to leave it at 65 for now. Um, So, uh, and even the talk of early retirement packages at ACME have been happening. And they're not sure that that's a good way to go either. Because that uh requires a lot of cash because you have to uh, you know offer like big lump sums of money to get old geezers like me to retire a couple of years early and uh we get don't have the cash way. we don't have the cash to do it right so right. uh it just doesn't make sense at this point even now i know that there are some other majors out there that are talking uh, early retirement packages maybe for their Uh, finances. uh, It works, but uh, not for ACME, as far as I can tell, at least some of the briefings that I've been watching. So we'll just have to wait and see. But, um, you know, Dana and I are not losing our jobs. We're still going to have a job. We may not be flying a lot, but uh, we'll still get some kind of pay protection for, you know, living our lives and paying our bills and such. So thank you for all your uh, thoughts and prayers and stuff regarding this. But uh, I think we're going to be okay. So
5: I've got my, I've got my fingers crossed.
2: Yeah. me too. Sure. So of course, if you just keep watching our show, you'll know, you'll just go along uh, for the ride with us uh, during these next few months and see how this whole thing pans out. Steph, what about you? What about your industry? Uh, I would imagine your job security is pretty high at this point.
3: Uh, Yeah. Our job security is not going to be an issue, fortunately, at least not for me and hopefully not for any of the staff that I work with. Um, Certainly, those of you who have listened to the show for a while know that I am um, a subspecialist, basically. So I do, um, for the most part, non-life-saving work on a daily basis. Mostly, it's about um, quality of life and and keeping people um, out of pain and discomfort as it relates to spine conditions. Um, mostly degenerative changes, things that happen to us as we get older. Although we see people who are in their twenties um, occasionally for disc herniations and nerve pinches and things. Um, So we're kind of in this gray area right now um, where we don't want people coming into our office who do not absolutely have to be seen um, because we get people bringing in all kinds of family members with them and other things. And we don't uh, usually we're very busy. So we're trying to limit all of that contact. So we've basically cleared our schedule for the next at least through the next two weeks, um, letting folks know that they can call us back to reschedule at a later time. Um, we are offering video visits for some of our patients and telephone visits, which I'm, I have another set up right over here just to do my video visits and things from home. So I don't have to go into the office either. And we're kind of trying to tow this line of preventing people from going to the emergency room to seek care if they're having a lot of pain or discomfort. So we are still doing some limited procedures. So I was doing that this morning, um, up in one of our outpatient offices, which unfortunately is on the complete opposite side of town, uh, which I'm not complaining about at all. Um, it's nice to get people in and, and get them, taking care of and meet their needs. Um, But it has been a significant reduction in our schedule as well. Um, Tomorrow I have one telephone encounter for the entire day. So I'll just mostly be monitoring my my in-basket to look for people with questions, do uh, medication refills, and that type of stuff. So it's definitely impacted us, but I'm going to be doing, uh, now that we definitely have the okay to Keep doing these procedures in our outpatient facility. I'm going to keep doing those as much as I can until I'm told otherwise. And we're just trying to spread them out so that it's just really one patient there at a time. So someone comes in, has a procedure, they leave. Next person shows up. There's no overlapping.
9: Very but. good.
4: It, it's great. I, that I, it's important for these people to have their treatment. And it's great that you have the uh, capacity in your system to uh, allow that. Um, I don't think it's quite the same over here, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah.
3: Yeah, no, we're definitely fortunate from that standpoint. And there are a lot of things that we cannot do right now. Um, we're really not set up to do all of the procedures that I would normally be able to offer. But at least I can keep some of those folks going with, with some things. So
4: absolutely, um, it's,
3: it's a little limited. Some of the more technically advanced things or some of the more risky procedures we're not doing just because it's in our outpatient setting and not in a surgery center or hospital like setting. There's fewer resources in case there is a problem. And we don't want to overburden those resources by doing things that are potentially riskier. You know, you don't want to have someone with a complication that ends up in the hospital and uses resources. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and if those folks are, you know, if people are having serious problems, then our surgeons are doing surgeries on a very limited basis for urgent emergent cases where people are having uh, neurologic compromise, basically. So they're lo- losing nerve function because of a problem.
2: That doesn't sound good.
3: No, and it, it's fortunately pretty rare. So most people cool. are not in that that case. Um, I did do a bunch of traveling last weekend, um, which was kind of interesting. I think my my series of uh, flights was less complicated than Dana's <laughs> somewhat.
2: <laughs> I um, think can we, we'll be able to follow along with yes, you. will oh, be okay. Well,
3: you'll mostly be able to follow this. Um, <laughs> and uh, this kind of came about last minute for um, helping my grandfather to be uh, moved from the Florida area up to – or to, uh, Tampa area up to Cincinnati to um, – live with other relatives. He was uh, in a skilled nursing uh, facility for quite a while after a, a hip fracture, um, but he was ready to go. And it makes sense to get him out of there sooner rather than than later if he doesn't need to be there any longer, because it's basically another type of facility that's packed with a lot of people who are elderly and at high risk for infections and things. And to be honest, they probably need that bed to get someone out of the hospital as well if he doesn't need it anymore. Um so it kind of came. this, we looked at all the options and said, okay, well, if we're going to do it, now is probably the right time to to do it because if we wait too much longer, we might not have the flights that we need. Um, and air travel is uh, so reduced right now. There's so few people in the airports. It's probably a good time to be able to negotiate that pretty easily with him because he has some significant mobility issues at the moment. So um, I went down to Tampa to help out, met my dad there, um, took a flight from Charlotte to Miami. That was 30 people on an A321, so pretty, pretty empty. And then a very full 737 from Miami to Tampa. No idea why. (laughs) Can't explain that one. Hmm. Um, And a lot of pets on that flight too. It seemed like everyone had a dog or a cat with them, like in a pet carrier down by their feet. Hmm. I have no idea. And day was was pretty hectic trying to get him to the airport and we had him on an ACME flight actually through there was a direct flight on one of the ACME connections but it was originally supposed to be a CRJ 900 and we weren't entirely certain if it would actually be parked at a jet bridge and if there was any issue with him potentially needing to negotiate stairs we didn't want to to risk that so we put him on a, a connecting flight because that actually kind of breaks things up a little bit for him, allows him to get off the plane and have a little time to move around. Um, And my cousin, this involved a lot of people, had another cousin come down and meet us who actually did the flight with him. He's kind of a bigger guy and was able to help with some of the mobility issues. Um, So he met us there and everything went really smoothly. They, They got on their way and got up to Cincinnati via Atlanta. And then the next day I flew home back through Miami again and two very empty flights, like to the point where I actually had a personalized note from the flight crew at my seat waiting for me saying thank you for your business we really appreciate it
2: (laughs) i'll be able to eat tonight thank you (laughs) yeah yeah so wow how sweet
3: but it was um you know it was very empty there was no one in the airports charlotte was a ghost town even miami not so much on friday but on sunday on the way back there weren't very many people there tampa was actually busier than i expected on saturday but that was the day they closed all the beaches so i think everyone was ready to get out of get out of town
2: well, very good. I'm glad that that uh, transfer uh, from Tampa to Cincinnati worked out well for your dad or your grandfather.
3: Yeah, it, it all went well, and he actually just sent me a, a text just now thanking oh. me. So I'll have to get back to him at some point.
2: Wow, how about that?
3: But he doesn't have to do that. It was it was something I'd be happy to do anytime.
2: Excellent. Well, Nick, you um, were kind of uh, out of uh, sorts or so uh, health wise for the last episode, and are you feeling any better?
4: Yeah, I'm sorry about missing the last one, uh, Jeff. I I just ran out of puff, uh, and uh, it was just, you know, a bit much. Um, I am feeling a bit better, so that's good news. Uh, um, Come this weekend, I'll have had this uh, dang cough for two weeks, Mm. but I'm still, uh, you know, coughing uh, fairly uh, heavily and regularly, I guess. So, um, yep, I seem to have plateaued, but... uh, uh, I, I gather it, the uh, situation is uh, the same as uh, many people who are getting this. It's a it's a long and persistent cough that takes uh, some time to get rid of. So uh, that'll being uh, well it, as long as it doesn't get any worse or uh, develop into something else. I'm uh, completely content just to have the occasional cough. In theory, I'm no longer uh, uh, infectious, so even though I'm coughing, I could. Uh, go out and do shopping but the uk has more or less been locked down we can go out once a day do a bit of exercise uh, you can obviously go off and seek medical assistance if you need or do essential shopping or if you're one of those occupations where you are allowed to go to work or required to go to work then uh, you can do that but that's about it at the moment but um yeah uh it's it's just a bit of a drag uh um, but we're Julie and i are keeping ourselves uh Uh, busy, uh, and uh, we're both coping very well so far. Thanks very much.
2: So uh, you're pretty convinced now that uh, what you have or had have uh, is the COVID-19?
4: Well, I can't think of anything else it could be. Uh Uh, Obviously, I don't know for sure and won't know until uh, they have started uh, issuing um, tests to see whether you have antibodies right. and have developed a resistance to it, and you can only do that after the event. Yeah. So uh, they could, if they had tested me uh, ten days ago, they might have uh, seen that I had it or not. But I wasn't going to uh, try and do that. In fact, you know, I don't think there's any way of getting a test unless you're willing to do it privately, and I wasn't uh, yeah. interested. Um, no, it, it, it has all the classic symptoms. I didn't have much of a temperature, but I have had a persistent cough and uh, a slight breathlessness. So uh, I'm, uh, I think I'm pretty sure in my conclusions, but it doesn't really matter. We're all uh, isolating uh, ourselves now anyway. So mm-hmm. uh, it would be the same one
2: way or the other. Well, I hope that that cough uh, eventually leaves and that you get your strength back.
4: Well, that'd be great. Uh, I, I'm not, certainly not 100% at the moment, finding it a little bit hard to work through the whole day. I seem to get periods when I'm feeling great and uh, I can crack on do a bit. Uh, and then I have to go and have a bit of a sit down for a while and uh, sort of gather myself again, but uh, nothing too serious. Uh, and I'm very confident that I'll uh, work my way through this uh, in, you know, in the next uh, week or so.
2: Well, very good. Good to hear. I'm glad you're back.
4: Um, I'm very pleased to be back on the show. I'll see how it goes to whether I carry on. Make it toward the end.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll try to hurry it up. (laughs) Um, Quickly, um, noticed, uh, read this just yesterday in a a piece, uh, email from the Airline Pilots Association. A lot of people were concerned about. Well, first of all, let's back up a little bit. The FAA Reauthorization Act of nineteen, or I'm not nineteen, twenty nineteen, I think, or maybe even twenty eighteen. I don't know. It took them a while to pass the darn thing, but they did pass it last year. One of the provisions in the uh, reauthorization act was uh, oxygen mask usage requirements. And I know that this is not uh, something that's really a factor for many airlines outside of the U.S. But in the U.S., we were still required to. Uh, hang the oxygen mask or suck the hose or whatever you want to call it Um, if Mm. somebody left the cockpit um, above flight level 250. And uh, so that was one of those things that was supposed to happen. Well, it didn't. You know, 2019 came and went, and we didn't hear a darn thing from the FAA or our company regarding that. And I just noticed this, uh, as I said yesterday, the FAA has issued a final rule, finally, regarding – Oxygen use requirements in flight effective today. 14 CFR 121.333 section C3 has been revised to change the altitude at which a crew member is required to don his or her oxygen mask when only one pilot is at the controls. The new regulation changes the altitude from above flight level 250 to above flight level 410. Uh, ACME is issuing an all pilot bulletin to reflect this change. So, uh, and I, I don't need to read the actual language from that section, 121.333, but I just wanted to let those of you out there who are flying in the U.S. that uh, that requirement now is gone. So, you you know, you don't have to hang the hose unless you're at or above flight – no, above flight level 410. So, that's good news. Glad that –
3: probably not interesting to anyone listening except for healthcare workers. Um, and it doesn't apply to broadly across the US, but we had a similar thing, <clears throat> excuse me, um, related to, we used to have to use a lot of personal protective equipment for any patients who had a previous history of having a MRSA infection, mm-hmm. methicillin-resistant staph aureus, um, even if they weren't sick with it for the purpose of, you know, trying not to spread it to other people, but they were so short on The PPE, personal protective equipment, right now, they've said, nope, that's out the out the window. We're not going to have you gown up and use those supplies for those patients.
2: Good, yeah, because those supplies are getting kind of few and far between, right? Yeah, they're scrambling here in the U.S. to you know manufacture them and restock, resupply, so that you know we don't run out of them. But uh, it's Mm -hmm. definitely one of those things that we're dealing with, at least here in the U.S. I think things are things are improving, though. I think some, from some of the reports I heard today that uh, there's yeah, been... it
3: looks like there's going to be uh, hopefully manufacturing of a lot of those supplies is ramping up quite a bit.
2: Excellent. Um, so one of the things, speaking of supplies and um, kind of uh, you know running out of certain supplies for certain items, and uh, that reminds me of something that uh, I wanted to share with you all. Um, you know, good old Hillel, he, uh, he likes to uh, hang around while we're doing the show, and usually, I don't know why, but it's usually in the restroom, the bathroom, the toilet, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the other day, I received this, uh, or saw this on uh, Twitter or somewhere, and uh, let's let's take a listen.
8: Greetings, APG listeners. So, you can see uh, I'm in my usual spot. The bathroom. Um, it's been a while since I heard from Jeff. <clears throat> I'm not sure where he's gone, but things are getting a little desperate here. Um, I was wondering why he came in and asked for all the toilet paper, and then I haven't heard from him for a while, so um, I'm a little a little concerned. Um, many of you are wondering how it is it possible that uh, that uh, Jeff can. Uh, stand, you know, having me in back here doing what I do. I think it has all to do with a steady supply of this stuff right here. Um, That really makes a big difference. It it actually smells really nice. Sometimes I just use it as deodorant, but, you know, Jeff doesn't give me a whole lot of options here. So, um, anyhow, that's the situation. Nothing new to report from here other than, you know, like I said, desperate situation possibly in the next couple of days. Hopefully, he'll come back and, you know, have some more supplies. Tell me what's going on in the rest of the world. But otherwise, that's it from here. That's it for now. See you next time. Or not. We'll see. Bye.
2: (laughs) Thanks, Hillel. Uh, We'll we'll be returning to you, uh, getting back to you at some point later on in the show. Can Just you give him
3: some real deodorant? I mean,
2: <laughs> so what is. he was uh, holding uh, and possibly using as a de- deodorant, which is not the not the label usage <laughs> for this item. Off label, definitely. <laughs> yeah, it's off label. poo uh, Poopery. Uh, that's an item that I recognized immediately because we had a good supply of that on in the RV, right, Steph?
3: <laughs> we did. Yeah, it actually it, it works as advertised. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. A couple spritzes in the bowl before you use the. The facilities.
2: Yeah, so it
4: worked well. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. did. Um, so you really need to. I know you heard the. If you're listening to the audio-only podcast, you really do need to uh, <laughs> look at this point of the show uh, in on the video, so that maybe I'll try to get a link just of this clip of Hillel uh, sitting on his throne in his usual place uh, while he uh, tells us about the the toilet paper woes. So, thank you, Hillel, for. For doing that. And let's see. Anything else? We got that? We got that? I was
4: just going to say, it's the only time I ever saw you come out smelling of roses.
3: (laughs) Thank you. Citrusy.
2: Okay. I was going to say something, but I thought, nah. Um, (laughs) Leave it be. Yeah, let it go. Just let it go, Jeff. Um, All right. Um, That's all I can think of. So um, as far as... Uh, moving forward, we're still planning on doing another show next week. Um, I don't have anything on my schedule next week, so um, it'll be the second week in April before I head out there again, possibly depending on what what happens with the industry and such. But um, uh, I don't believe we have any meetups or any such things scheduled at this point in time. But it's if we not do, allowed anymore. Yeah, I know that's right. We're not allowed to get together and do any kind of social gathering. So. Uh, Check it out, though, uh, the airlinepilotguy.com uh, slash calendar, which is the uh, APG community calendar. You can find it at airlinepilotguy.com slash calendar. Just in case something is happening out there, we'll certainly let you know. Okay, um, let's move on to the coffee fund. Johnny, how much more coffee? Go fang! I love coffee, I love tea, I love the APG community. community, coffee and tea, and the Java and me, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Alrighty, righty, the Coffee Fund is your way to support the show financially, and since the last episode, a couple of very nice, generous contributions from, let's see, Dave Shuler, a very uh, generous uh, contribution. Thank you, Dave. And Nicholas gomez um also another very generous donation. Thank you uh, for using the Coffee Fund Classic Method, which is your way to send in an individual um, contribution or a recurring one, if you'd prefer. Although the best way to send in recurring contributions is to become a patron of the show via patreon.com. And since the last show, we have a new producer, Jim. He doesn't want to give any other information other than Jim. So that will work for us. Uh, he has joined the uh, great group of folks who are patrons of the show. Again, patreon.com slash guy. But for either of these methods, head over to our website, click on the coffee uh, fund tab, and you'll find out how to join this great group of folks. You will be glad you did, and we will too, certainly.
8: Captain, incoming message.
2: All right, first item in the feedback folder from Andre. He says Hello, fellow aviators. My son, as part of his engineering degree, is busy with a paper regarding EFBs. Could all of you perhaps complete this short survey to help him? Thanks. This is from Andre Baker, and he gives us a link, which we're going to have ITSN in the show notes. For all of you professional and, well, I don't know if you have to be a professional, but just pilots out there that use EFBs, uh, please uh do the survey i just did it yesterday it was easy it was like
3: it's nine questions i'm taking the survey right now yeah
2: it's like super super easy it's super quick and it'll help out andre's son and his engineering degree so uh if you don't mind uh, if you're listening to the show now um hopefully the survey will still be active and you can just click that link in the show notes and it'll take you right there so there you go um no it, yes. It's
4: interesting. Uh he's doing his engineering degree. He's writing a paper. Shouldn't that be he's writing an electronic? Cuz he doesn't actually write paper. Oh, anymore. that's true.
2: That's true. Good point.
4: And, and it's about electronic flight bags. So. You know, that
3: has that's been the case for a long time, but it's one of those things where you know, times have changed, but our English vocabulary has has persisted on.
2: Right, like we're tape We're taping the show right now, but there's no exactly. tape. Exactly. There's anywhere. no tape. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. We need to move with the times, folks.
3: I, I will never forget because I, I should have known that I was going into medicine at a very early age. I think it was fifth grade. Um, we had a handwriting class and I got not such great marks um, in that class. And our teacher was very insistent that you must learn how to write um, nice, neat cursive, because when you get to college, you're going to have to write all of these papers. And if they can't read what you're writing, you're not going to get a good grade on it. By the time I got to college, everything was typed. I was like, ha, take that yeah
4: the only I can thing type was like 100 they, words a
3: minute the only
4: thing was they couldn't read your signature so you didn't get a
3: score oh, yeah. is that but right I still can't read my signature so. <laughs> seems to work
2: okay well let's see let's move on to item dose from Larry he says uh, I know that there are issues above 78 degrees 15 minutes north or south but this seems to be a westward problem don't go west young man he says this was a link to an article, which I believe they've worked out by now. This is a little while back, but it's still interesting anyway. And again, this is from uh, Larry Gregory in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, Boeing 737 Next Gen airliners, not the uh, MAX, but the um, the earlier models um, that are still out there flying quite a bit. Um, have been struck by a peculiar software flaw that blanks the airliners' cockpit screens if pilots dare attempt a westwards landing at specific airports. Amid the various well-reported woes facing America's largest airframe maker, yet, yet another one has emerged from the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration, a bug that causes all pilots display screens in the 737NG airliner family to simply go blank. That bug kicks in when airliner crews try to program the autopilot to follow what the FAA described as, quote, a selected selected instrument approach to a specific runway. Seven runways, of which five are in the U.S. and two in South America, in Colombia and Guyana, respectively, triggered the bug. Instrument approach procedures guide pilots to safe landings in all weather conditions regardless of visibility. All six display units blanked with a selected instrument approach to a runway with a 270-degree true heading, and all six display units stayed blank until a different runway was selected, noted the FAA's Airworthiness Directive, summarizing three incidents that occurred on scheduled 737 flights to Barrow, Alaska in 2019. That was really the only one that was – that was the biggest one, the biggest airport, and um, all the other ones that they had listed here in the U.S. um, seemed like they were um, smaller um, airports. Wayne County in Ohio, Chippewa County in Michigan, and Cavern City in New Mexico. I don't even know where any of those places are, actually. Well, Wayne County would be near the Detroit area. That's Detroit. Yeah, but not Detroit. Was that Detroit – no, it's BJJ, so that's not – the uh, Detroit metropolitan airport. They don't have a West. Well, I guess they still do have westerly runway one that isn't used very often. Anyway. So there you go. Uh, they, uh, took the boxes out and, and hit them with a hammer and it fixed the problem. So that's not true. They did not do that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but the problem was fixed with a uh, software fix. And, uh, just thought it was a kind of Larry thought that was kind of an odd thing for that to happen but um something well, the
4: thing i find odd, jeff is that it didn't just affect the navigation display or the uh, flight management yeah, the computer all the all, all the six screens. screens and i'm going really what yeah. common factor is there are all the all the feeds to those
2: screens there must be of some it. kind of connection with the uh, FMC uh, all the different screens i would imagine i don't know
4: yeah. I mean, of course, Boeing haven't been the only ones to suffer. Uh, Airbus uh, had problems with their screens. If you left them on for more than 149 hours, then uh, a clock inside would go, oh, I need to be turned off and on again now to reset. Um, so for a while, uh, until they fixed that, which they have done, uh, we had to turn. make sure that when we left the cockpit, we turned all the screens off so that the next crew I uh, would have to turn them back on and that fix that problem as a temporary fix but so there are there are software glitches uh, nothing is perfect in this world um but generally speaking there are workarounds and I guess the answer
2: with this was don't go to one of those runways <laughs> yeah right don't don't enter that runway yeah in, in the box or don't fly there, there don't you go. fly yeah <laughs> that's that's my fix don't go I'm to these not places. Not going to go to Barrow Alaska. That's kind of a demanding place. Anyway. Have you?
3: Yeah. We had a yeah, that was a fun uh, fun trip. Huh.
4: Mind you, the author of this particular uh, piece uh puts at the end a uh, human error blah 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 uh AirAsia A330 Airbus navigation system uh, thought it was eleven thousand kilometers away from its true position well the idiots entered the wrong latitude and longitude you can make it go anywhere (laughs) if you enter the wrong latitude and longitude so i'm going really
2: and you would think that you would be like checking to make sure that the distance on your flight plan and your and the distance displayed in your flight management computer would be a a, you know close
4: you would think yeah there you go I mean, Airbus even make it so simple for you because the aircraft has a pretty good idea where it is. Uh, certainly, it knew where it was left when it was turned off. And those um, uh, coordinates come up. And if, so you've got something to work from. You don't, don't have to compare them. And, of course, now with GPS, uh, it all happens automatically anyway. So. Even in the
2: old coal burners that uh, Dana and I fly, will uh, if you enter the wrong – you know, occasionally, you'll you'll be thinking that you're in your next – destination or whatever. And you put that in for your, um, your present position. And the clue that it gives you is it goes, reenter that information mm-hmm. that you just told me to put in the box. And that that's like the first little red flag that goes off and you go, Oh, maybe I put the, Oh yeah, look, I'm not in Pittsburgh. I'm in Atlanta. Um, but you can, you can override it. You can do it again. And I go, okay, you're now, whatever in you Pittsburgh. want, <laughs> if,
3: that's, if you're sure. And so
2: then, that's actually just, yeah, Go ahead.
3: Just trying to think. Our, that trip to um, Barrow, we went up on a Alaska Airlines seven thirty seven nine hundred, I think, or eight hundred. I don't know. It was one of the the models affected, but we landed on runway seven, so the opposite direction. Yeah. Um, and we had to go around on the first attempt because it was very low visibility, and we flew the entire published miss on the way back. Oh
4: boy!
2: Around. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, that's that's around and, uh, high terrain around that airport, right? No. Oh, it's okay. right on
3: the, it's right on the water. Oh, I'm thinking of uh, a different the place ocean. then.
2: What's that place that's like really high terrain and, um, special airport qualification required and, uh, yeah, you think, and you can right? uh,
3: in Alaska? catch a can or something like that. Oh, maybe. No. Yeah. This is not in the mountains. It's, it's right on okay. the Arctic ocean. Okay. Um, but it is, oh, I forget the latitude is 71 and a half, uh, something like that. Something bay. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was it was just a low fog layer, so it was clear until you got to like 400 feet above the runway, and it was all the way down to just around 200 feet, 150 feet.
2: So, I thought maybe moose were on the runway. Moose
3: <laughs> that might have also been the case.
2: <laughs> Is the plural of moose meese? No. No. Okay. No. Dana's still trying to figure out that place that we that eludes us. <sighs> yeah. Um, oh, I should probably look. Anybody in the chat room, help us out.
3: Someone asked about Juno, but I don't think. Oh, I June. think it is
2: Juno. Is it, actually, is it Juno? Yeah, it is Juno. Jun, Juno, Juno
5: is tough, but not yeah. as tough as the uh, the one I'm thinking about, up and way out in the in the Alaska chain. Oh, um, Oh. yeah,
2: the one that um, that Something recently bad. had a um, that recently had an accident from a regional um, went off the end of the runway. There, I yes. think. Okay, yes. that's mm-hmm. not too far from Shemya. Um, I forgot which one that was. But anyway, I digress. Uh, So thank you, Larry, for uh, sending us a link to that little article. Uh, Cold Bay? Cold Bay? Yeah, Cold Bay. That's probably it. Cold Bay, Alaska. There you go. How is it there? Cold. 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 (laughs) Um, Now, here's an interesting one. This will be fun. Uh, Item number three. Uh, Have you all seen the video? Well, if you haven't, I'm going to play it so everybody watching the video can share in this delightful thing here. Should spur some good discussion. Okay, this is a cockpit of an Airbus. I think it's an A320. And the first officer is at the controls. They're 1,000 feet above the ground. (laughs) He just turned off the autopilot, right, Nick? Is that what that little click, click, click sound was?
4: Uh, No, the... uh, the the cavalry charge is the autopilot. The click, click, click is a downgrade of landing capability.
2: Oh, okay. So is it still basically is he, from is he, it Cat 1? Like he's, he's hand flying it though now, right? Yeah,
4: as soon as the cavalry charge was, that was him taking control. And okay. then the click, click, click was, uh, he could have done a Cat 3 landing if he'd been, uh, if he'd left the autopilot in, but the triple click means that there's been a downgrade to, in this case, Cat 1 since he's hand flying.
2: Okay. So he's um, coming in for a landing. I think it's supposed to be his first landing in this airplane. Um, they are getting 400 feet, I think that is called out, above the ground. 100 above. 100 above minimums.
6: Minimum. Too low. Flaps.
2: Is that something you normally hear? Too low. Flaps.
4: Unless you've got the wrong flap setting or got the wrong setting in the box.
2: Okay. Uh, Looks like the captain reached around and checked the position of the flaps.
4: No, he used the emergency cancel button to stop annoying warnings.
2: Okay. Okay, they touch down without incident. And there you go. So, uh,
4: the reason... So there's a little button on the... uh, on the um, amongst those controls for the uh, warning system, um, that uh, is called emergency cancel. And if you get a continuous warning that is spurious and you wish to get rid of it mm-hmm. so it doesn't distract you, you can uh, press that button and it will cancel it for the rest of the flight.
2: So, is I and I guess maybe this is I don't know if this is a rule from Airbus or from your your company's standard operating procedures or whatever, but uh, is, is it, I'm just wondering, I've not flown an Airbus airplane. Is this one of those things that they should have gone around for with a warning like that so close to the ground or not?
4: Well, that's an interesting question. Um, and the, the, because, uh, of course, the captain can override uh, any procedures if he uh, sees fit. Mm-hmm. Um, the normal GPAWS flat warning, I think, would probably be around six or 700 feet. Yeah, would that seem about right to you guys? Certainly the air, the aircraft or flat warning would be a similar height. Uh, they were well below that, I think.
2: Yeah, they're only a couple um, hundred feet above touchdown.
4: Exactly. So, uh, and it may be, the way the captain uh, he didn't even mention it. They may have already briefed that this was a known problem with the aircraft. Uh, and the way he just casually leaned across an emergency can, canceled it without saying continue or giving some instruction to his first officer indicated to me that they were both probably prepared for it. And the first officer didn't even question it. Um Right. No, in fact, none of them did. Nobody so, seems
2: surprised at all.
4: No. So either they're a dreadful crew, which I don't believe, because if you're a dreadful crew, you don't put this sort of thing up on YouTube.
2: Uh, well, you know what I'm thinking? they Maybe they could have put something along with it saying, oh yeah, you're going to hear this spurious warning that,
3: and here's why. We, and He's
2: we knew this, this is why. And yeah. But yeah, they, they didn't. Exactly. As far as I can tell, no, nothing was said about it. Maybe they just did this on purpose to see what kind of uh, comments it would generate.
4: Yeah, exactly. Now, uh, what happens uh, often, uh, if by mistake, is that when you enter your landing configuration, you type into the box what flap setting you're going to use for landing. Uh, If, for example, uh, you have left it to go to full, which is what it uh, defaults to, and you make a late decision to hold your flap at flap three because, say, uh, it might be wind shear. That would be a reason for keeping your flaps at three and not selecting the final f- flap setting. You are going to get one of these warnings, oh, because you need to change it in the box. Okay, and tell the box you're going to do a flap three landing, and then the warning will be uh, inhibited because you have now got the correct flap, uh, both in the box and uh, in the uh, uh, selected.
2: So the default uh, is the full flap, and then if you so that it just defaults to that, and if you're going to do something less than that, then you should update the box.
4: Correct. For okay. example, the the absolute classic for us, because we're well-practiced at it, you get an engine failure after takeoff. Uh, we run through the engine failure drills, and uh, you stabilize the aircraft, blah, blah, get it all sorted. Uh, you level off, do an acceleration, uh, you clean up, and then you do the after uh, takeoff checks and usually at the end of the after after takeoff checks, the instructor says, Okay, that's fine. Now I'll reposition you and you can do an approach. Um at the end during those after takeoff checks, Uh, It's very common for us to say, right, we're going to make another approach here, so we'll immediately activate the approach phase so the aircraft will know that it's going to go into uh, the next approach. And at the same time, we will change the landing flap to three, the correct flap for an engine out approach, and that will stop this warning from happening. So uh, I I don't think that was the case in either of this. Because the warning came so late, I think it was a spurious problem. It may have been... A flap indication problem that they knew about. So, that it might have been uh, a, a position sensor on the flaps that indicated the flap was in the wrong position, which then generated the warning. I'm not sure. But uh, it, it probably see something similar to that, I would say.
2: Wow, that wasn't as controversial as I thought it was going to be. No. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, nothing to see here. Just move on. No, not really. It was fine. Uh,
4: I mean, I assume uh, someone with more technical knowledge or a trainer. No, that sounds reasonable to me. Might well uh,
2: say otherwise. Yeah, because the captain, as you said, it was very nonchalant. Uh, Nobody seemed to be upset about the fact that they were getting this warning. And he just kind of, you know, as you said, disconnected or canceled the warning. And then they continued.
4: Now, I have to say, uh, if if you want a bit of criticism, and I think what might be due... I would have liked to have seen him say, uh, that's a flap warning, uh, which we expected flap is at full, flap is selected, continue. Yes. I would like to have to, to acknowledge the warning and not just ignored it, because right. you never know. Uh, it could have been a real one. Uh And that's, you need to satisfy both of you that you know exactly what the situation is. So that would be my criticism. Even if they were expecting, and I had briefed it, they need to acknowledge that it's happened. And so they both are on the same page with regards to the correct action to take.
2: I agree with you 100%. Okay, well, that means we can move on then to this one. And the only thing I can say about this one is this was sent in by Richard Nash. He goes, what are your thoughts on this? And I'm sorry. Nope. From Sean. I, mean, I forgot to advance. <laughs>
3: <Sorry>. <laughs> next. next the
2: the previous one was sent in by Richard Nash. We need
3: the little like beep that they had on like old school slides and things like, yes. uh, you know, videos where you had to advance the slide about? with the narrator.
2: No, that doesn't yeah. sound right. Not quite right. Uh, Let's see. So Sean writes, uh, obviously, this gent has no understanding of the FAA's culture slash mentality. And an aviation maintenance student, Frank Jalian Amaro, has been charged with bribing a Federal Aviation Administration designated mechanic examiner in exchange for receiving a passing score on the FAA's airframe and power plant examination. The integrity of America's civil aviation system is of paramount importance, said U.S. Attorney Young J.B.J. Pack. By allegedly trying to bribe his way into obtaining an FAA certification to repair aircraft, Amaro put his personal ambitions ahead of the safety of others. Blatant actions that seek to circumvent FAA certification requirements will not be tolerated, said Todd A. Damiani, Regional Special Agent in Charge, U.S. Department of Transportation, Office of Inspector General. Together with our uh, prosecutorial partners, we are committed to identifying and preventing those individuals willing to compromise the safety of the national airspace system and the traveling public. So according to U.S. Attorney Puck, or BJ as he likes to be called, the charges uh, and other information presented in court, um, the – okay, let's get to the – the brass tacks here, what happened? Um, as part of its responsibility to protect the integrity. A little,
3: little further down, actually, I think. Okay. Oh, that one or the next one. Amaro okay. was a student at. A... Yeah.
2: Why don't, why don't you take sure. over? Thanks.
3: So he was a student at an aviation maintenance school in Las Vegas. And in late 2019, he was preparing to take his examination um, for his FAA airframe and power plant certificate. Um, on November 19th of that year, he contacted an FAA designated mechanic uh, examiner in the Atlanta area, um, to go ahead and take that, uh, that test, but he used an alias and spoofed phone number and offered to pay the FAA examiner a bribe payment in exchange for receiving a passing score on the airframe and power plant examination. The FAA examiner immediately reported the bribe solicitation and thereafter agreed to work with federal law enforcement authorities.
2: So how much did he brought, uh, say he was going to get pay him?
3: He offered 500 up front and 2000 on the day of the test. Ooh,
2: 2500 That's a quick 2500 bucks right there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hmm.
3: And he actually did send the examiner $500 via a mobile payment service on December 9th. Hmm. And then met him in, in person and paid him the 2000 in cash. Um, and then he was busted. busted.
4: Yeah. Is the exam that hard that he felt? I mean, I don't know the level uh-huh. of difficulty of these. You know, I would things.
3: expect that you, if you've done the work and you put in the time and effort towards studying, it might be a challenging exam still, as it probably should be. Um,
2: yeah, too bad that oh. um, Miami Rick isn't here because he, I think he has an A&P he certificate. Yeah. yeah. He could tell us exactly how difficult or not it is.
4: I mean, I could only go by uh, hearsay, but uh, I gather, you know, there are an awful lot of uh, places you can get, all the questions that you're likely to get ans- asked in these exams and if you go through them all then uh, and pass them all because you've got the answers and the questions you've got a good chance of getting through the exam, but I guess by doing that, you have to absorb an element of knowledge at the same time.
3: Yeah. I mean, if you're if you're studying the, the potential question bank in that way, even if it's not the exact questions you're going to get, you're going to learn a lot of the, the knowledge by taking practice exams and whatnot.
1: He didn't want to
2: bother known, with
3: that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've known a handful of people who have, who have gotten their A&P and and they are all reasonably intelligent folks, but I've not heard any of them say that the test was so challenging that they thought they were in danger of not
2: passing it. This will be a lot easier just reach down in my wallet. You got 2,500 grab- bucks in there? No, I got a bunch of pieces of paper, <laughs> but they're not.
3: Save that for toilet paper. They're
2: not money. You might need it. Oh, that's yeah, true.
3: It's worth, it's worth something.
2: <laughs> they're uh, credit card receipts. Uh-huh. Uh, anyway, so yeah, not not a bright thing to do to try to bribe your way through uh, an examination. Not the first time it's been tried, and it's not the last and I know that it's happened on the other uh, side of things as well, the pilot uh, side of the fence. Um, you know, yeah. I, there,
3: I mean, that's a mentality I'll never understand. You know, you got to. No.
4: But I, I just like to congratulate the examiner on his integrity. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. for reporting this.
2: I agree. All right, um, item five. Um, both John and Richard sent a link to this video into us oh this is a doozy this This is and i yeah maybe this is the one i was thinking would generate a lot of discussion um john in baltimore and richard nash let me start with john in baltimore first off i'd like to wish my best to captains jeff and dana during these unprecedented times here's hoping that the corona effects on the industry are short-lived and everything gets back to normal soon we agree wanted to share this clip from VAS Aviation of a pretty appalling interaction between a controller and a pilot that declared an emergency. I have to commend the pilot because if I was in his situation, I would not have been as patient as he was. Fortunately, things worked out, but the controller certainly didn't help. This clip reminded me of the incident at Atlanta with the E-175 where the controller was asking all kinds of questions. Except in that case, the controller didn't get an attitude with the pilot's. At any rate, wishing you all the best, and to the APG community at large, stay healthy and stay positive. This, too, shall pass. Again, that's John in Baltimore, and then Richard Nash said, I, I'm sure you will have had this sent to you by many others, but I thought the controller was a lot better than others I've seen. He was very calm. He didn't ask a load of unnecessary questions like a lot do. What are your thoughts? So he's kind of coming at it from a different angle, and... So let's do this. I will also share this video because it'll help because it has some um, what do you call that um, the closed captioning it's, it annotated yeah or, yeah closed captioning yeah closed captioning kind of thing and that will help out with um, subtitles. Thank you, Liz.
7: r three nine two seven. Turn left heading two seven zero. Join Victor six. John Vector nine two seven. Zero, Six, nine two seven. Uh, I'm requesting direct flush if able. Three nine two seven, unable.
2: Now, perhaps I should set this up a bit. Uh, this happened uh, off of uh, the isle- island of Maui in the Hawaiian island chain, and it was a training flight, a Cessna one seventy two, I believe. Is that right, guys? Um, not absolutely positive on that, but. Um, here, let me scroll down, see if I can find the answer to that question.
5: Uh, I didn't see it in the... Uh, yeah,
2: I don't know why I thought it was a 172. But anyway, it doesn't matter. It was a it was a training flight, and uh, they had just taken off from Kahalui, I believe. Is that the way you pronounce that? Kahalui. Kahalui um, in Maui. And they were out north of the uh, island um, doing some work, and then we hear this.
7: 3927, declaring an emergency, turning around, direct Kahului Airport. 3927, enter left base, we 5. I need vectors right now, 927. 3927, left turn, direct Maui Vortex. I need a vector, sir, 927. 927, turn left, heading 140. Left 140, 927. 927, go ahead with the nature of your emergency. I'm
1: in a spiral descent
7: and rain and turbulence, 927. Okay, so you're not experiencing mechanical; so it's weather-related. That's two 927. Give me that vector one more time. three nine two seven, fly heading 090. Left turn, 090. Do you want it left or right? November 3927, fly heading zero, niner zero. Left turn. zero, nine or zero.
6: left turn. We're at 4,000 feet and a hard defense. Niner two, seven.
7: November two nine three nine two seven, affirmative 4,000. Fly heading zero, niner zero. zero, nine or zero. Three, nine or two. November 3927, 8th information is Charlie. And I assume you want to do the ILS approach runway two. I need vectors for a visual, 9027. Military 927, the Kali Airport is 2 o'clock, 10 miles. Report to Kali Airport in sight. Negative contact, 9027. Military 927, report to Kali Airport in sight. When able. We'll go, 9027. Military 927, advising, of information. Charlie. Working on Charlie, 9027. Military 927, Roger. November three nine two seven. Are you experiencing any turbulence at this moment?
6: Light turbulence. Nine or two seven.
7: What were you experiencing? IMC, light turbulence, light rain. Nine or two seven. No, no, no. You you said emergency to the northwest. Was it severe turbulence? Standby. Moderate or what was that to the northwest? Standby. We can talk on the ground. Nine or two seven. Nine or two seven. Roger.
6: ACf Skyhawk uh, 3927 has the airport in sight intermittently with
7: clouds between us. I can see the beacon currently, 9027. HCF Approach, 9027. November 3927, go ahead. Airport in sight off my 3 o'clock. Uh, there are some clouds
6: between us, but I've currently got the beacon in sight. November
7: 3927 says so visual approach runway 2, enter right downwind. That's not helping me very much. Give me
6: a vector. Give me an altitude to fly, and I'll fly it. two two seven.
7: Yeah, I'm not. You know, I, I don't understand. You, you told me about the airport in sight, and now you're asking me for a vector. Which one is it? I
6: declared an emergency. I told you I've got the beacon in sight, and there's clouds between us, so it's intermittent. Give me a vector. Give me an altitude. two two seven.
7: Do you have the airport in sight or not? Which one is it? I don't anymore. Okay, three nine two seven. Kansas approach clearance. Maintain four thousand feet. Turn right in, in two. Turn right one four zero.
6: Right, one four zero four thousand feet, nine two seven.
7: Three nine two seven, check the altitude. I'm showing thirty seven hundred feet. That's an incorrect altitude. Maintain four thousand feet.
6: I'm climbing to four thousand right now. Listen, I declared the emergency. Take a deep breath. Get me out of it.
7: Three nine two seven, maintain four thousand feet. Maintaining four thousand, nine two seven. Three nine two seven, let me know you see the airport. One o'clock, seven miles. Will Thank you, sir. You know what? Three nine two seven, Roger.
6: 927, with the airport in sight, be advised, there are layers of clouds, both above and below my altitude, 927.
7: 3927, I want to clear for the visual approach, I'm going to clear for the visual approach, the visual approach runway 2, into right downwind. Runway 2, right downwind,
1: 3927.
7: 3927, roger. November 3927, contact
1: Maui Tower. Maui Tower, 927.
2: And they landed safely on runway 2. Now, it's interesting. Um, I'm seeing a lot of different <laughs> takes on this, and uh, you'll see that also uh, if you look at this, which will be linked in the show notes to uh, Bass Aviation's YouTube channel. Um, you can see a lot of commentary going on there as well. But um, the first first thing I have to say, this is a, a pilot that got into a situation which was pretty um, – I don't know. Shocking.
3: It was well above their skill level, above their their um so it sounds like they were not um trained for or equipped to fly in IMC and they entered IMC inadvertently. It was my take on it even though it doesn't say specifically and caused some disorientation for them and he wanted vectors back to the airport to get out of the weather he was experiencing and that's what he was looking for initially when he declared the emergency and, and contacted um hcf right approach
2: yeah um and then of course the thing that we always talk about in these situations when i guess our controller friends will tell us well we're required to uh, to tell you that the ATIS information is charlie but uh, as a pilot i would just say if there's anything significant in that would you let me know what it is because i'm not going to take the time to take my eyes off of everything to tune in the ATIS frequency to pick up information charlie but again i understand their point of view as well that well they have I, i have to say that I guess. I don't know. But it just seems like an inappropriate time if you're in the middle, midst of an emergency to ask the pilot to get ATIS information, Charlie. But that's just me, maybe.
3: I mean, I'm just going to put myself in the – and I don't know. Um, yeah, It sounds – there's some speculation is there some history between this tail number and the controllers in the area. I have no idea of any of that. Um, but if I was in this particular pilot's situation and this was me, you know, I'm a new – newish private pilot or in a training situation. And I find myself in something like this where you're obviously, it sounds like he's, uh, his confidence is rattled a bit and certainly doesn't want to end up back in IMC. And he's looking for a way to get around those those clouds and, and basically asking for that. He needs to be very direct with that controller and say, hey, yes. I am unable to, you know, the controller said unable to another flight or to that flight earlier on. He needs to say unable I need a different altitude or a different vector to get around these clouds. Um, I will do the visual approach, but I need to maintain that visual contact with the runway the entire time. I can't go back into a cloud layer because I could end up uh, disoriented again.
2: I think communication, I think you, you've nailed it, is the key here. I don't think either the pilot or the controller had perfect communication. No. I think that there's blame to be put on both sides. I I I kind of see the controllers kind of getting a little upset because the guy says I have the airport in sight, and what that is that triggers the that's telling the controller I have the airport in sight. That means I can maneuver from where I am visually to land at this airport. And Did then he, he say can,
4: airport in sight or
2: beacon in? Sight? He said airport in sight, mm-hmm. and, he? Okay. and he said I and there are clouds between. Me and the airport, but I do see the beacon. So he did say airport in sight a couple of different times, and so yeah. that and then the controller's going, "Well, wait a minute, you just told me that you had the airport in sight." So I think that was probably the trigger, and the fact that the pilot, I think in in my mind, was the first one to kind of kind of come back in a very um, I don't know snarky way with something. And I understand he's kind of shaken up, as opposed to the controller being in this nice controlled environment where this guy is probably shaking in his boots, uh, trying to get the airplane back on the ground. Uh, So, you know, perhaps the controller could have been a little bit more accommodating and saying, okay, tell me what you need. You know, let me know. Yeah, I think the
3: the failure on the controller's part here was to not recognize how shaken and rattled this guy was. You know, uh, Mm -hmm. he he did a good job of being calm and collected in his radio transmission, but you know, clearly he was not comfortable with the situation, and maybe that's a hindsight thing. When you go back and listen to it, it's easier to tell. Um, but I think that was where the controller was not reading that situation.
2: Or he could have said, the pilot could have said, "Look, I see the airport is inside. I can kind of, but I'm not completely. I'm not ready to proceed on my own. I still need mm-hmm. vectors until I get a little bit closer to the airport, and I, I'm sure that I have the airport inside and can keep it inside." But you know exactly. that that communication wasn't there, so mm-hmm. the guy just kind of relied upon the fact. Boom! I hear him say, "Airport inside. Okay, clear the visual approach." Well, now you know, blah blah blah, and then he starts getting really uh, irritated with the controller. At that point, I don't think the controller was trying to be an uh, an a s s h a t like someone said in the, <laughs> in the in the chat room. It's just that he's frustrated because he's going, "Okay, well, what do you want? I'm trying to help you here, but." His tone of voice didn't come out yeah. across that way, but neither did the pilots. So No.
3: And, and the pilot did ask multiple times for vectors and was not given yes. vectors per se. He was given things that perhaps he could not
2: right. do. Yeah. Like he said, request vectors. And he says, okay, clear direct to the Maui Vortac. So the
3: Vortac, Well, that's yeah. not what
2: I said. I need no, vectors. No, not a vector. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think a, a little bit of uh, frustration all around. What do you think, Dan? I
5: don't think anymore.
2: Okay. Well, that's good. No,
5: I'm <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I, th- I think it's a, a scenario that uh, almost seems as though they were abrasive towards each other right from the beginning, and it just seemed that the controller really didn't believe in an emergency, and I, I just I, with everything you guys said, I agree one hundred percent because it's it just didn't it wasn't treated very well by either side. I think.
2: Yeah.
4: Ed? Yeah. But at the end of the day, the pilot's going to end up in a smoking heap and the controller's going to go home to his wife. Uh, So in my mind, I don't care just what the pilot said. The controller is the one that needs to keep his calm and give as much aid as he possibly can. Now, if it turns out that the pilot was overreacting dreadfully, well, when you declare emergency, there's going to be paperwork that follows. There's going to be some form of explanation as to how he got himself into that situation. So he will need to explain himself. But the controller, I think, had that pilot died, Uh, the controller would have found himself in, I think, quite deep water, because I don't think he did everything he could to try and uh, assist that pilot, having you know, after the guy declared an emergency. I can perhaps understand why he might have been a bit annoyed at the pilot, and perhaps there was a bit of history between them in the past. I don't know. But, because that's what it kind of felt like. They, They were both a bit flippant with each other, a bit offhand with each other. But when push comes to shove if the bloke declares an emergency i don't care whether he's your worst enemy in the world you get him safely on the ground that's your job and that's why you're a professional in the tower not you know let your personal feelings or annoyances get into the way you work or should yep. get into I agree. the way
3: 100 percent.
4: that
5: was very well said nick
2: And if you believe the comments by the folks in the Vast Aviation YouTube channel chat on this particular video, somebody at some point says that the controller is no longer employed by Mm. that control. uh, Interesting. Yeah. So. Interesting. Anyway, so. Again, I'll, I'll still stand by, you know, I, I'm not going to say who was who more at fault than the other, but I think there there is some fault on both sides. Of
3: the I think there's a ice. lot to be learned from this on on both sides, whether you're a pilot or a, a Just controller.
2: Just communicate. Or, tell yeah, tell exactly. me what you want. Tell me what and you want me to do and, you know. Uh, give the
3: assistance that's being
2: yeah. asked for. And the controller. And if
3: you're on the, the side asking for assistance, be very, uh, you know, it's hard when you're in a stressful environment, but the more help you can give to whoever's trying to help you the better
2: right yeah bedside banner by the uh, air traffic controller was not the best no no okay um item six looks like was next uh texas and leshock that says greetings Captain Jeff and the APG crew, the recent feedback about Airbus's experiments with blended wing bodies sparked a memory from years ago. There was a guy I met on a mission in Southern California who worked for Boeing. There were a number of such people there at the former McDonnell Douglas plant. Another one, part of the design team that turned the DC-9 into the MD series, even had a chunk of metal from the wing of the first MD-80 embedded in his head. No, uh, on his bookshelf. I'm sorry. This guy had a, uh, yeah, he was a little bit too close during the tests. Mm. Yeah. This guy had a model in his living room of a plane I'd never seen before. When I asked him about it, he described it as a blended wing body or BWB, in addition to the increased efficiency. The thought was that they would be able to fit larger passenger loads as well. Reportedly, they'd floated the idea by a number of airlines, but hadn't had any takers.
4: Well, you're not supposed to float them. You're supposed to fly them. That's obviously the mistake they
2: made. Oh, yeah. The floating is like a balloon or a...
4: Yeah, or a boat. A boat, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Okay. Uh, The military, of course, loved it, but apparently airlines are more hesitant to take on radical new changes. At least they were then. Who knows? Maybe now... Uh, now is when the time has come jumping tracks some some not long ago i re- rem- oh let me read that again jumping tracks some not long ago i referenced the launch of breeze airways and now i found an interesting article from runway girl network which has him stating that he'll be fine flying on a 737 max once it's uh, got all its issues worked out and is recertified i have to say right on I'm right there with him. My thought this entire time has been even with the problems, the Max is still safer than your car.
4: What kind of a car are we talking about?
2: <laughs> I don't is know. That a Ford? Your car. He's talking about your car, Captain. No, Nick.
4: no. My car's very safe. I'm sorry. <laughs>
2: there you go. Uh, jumping again. Well, let's see. Texas and LaShock jump. Phew. Uh, I just heard something interesting on in another podcast I listened to, The Cabinet of Curiosities. Oh, I like
4: that podcast.
2: It's which does little five or so segments, uh, five or so minute segments on little historical tidbits. In this case, it was talking about Hetty Lamar, who, among other things, like uh, inventing, acting, and serving as the basis Disney used for Snow White, also worked with Howard Hughes on modifying the designs of some of his planes because she didn't think they looked very fast. I looked this up. try to find some more details, most of which I found was about her invention of the frequency hopping spread spectrum, which years later led to Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. She was very smart. Uh, But there were just general mentions of her time with Hughes. Does anyone know specifically which aircraft she had a hand in? I've seen mention of her developing modifications for the Concorde, but again, nothing specific. I don't know uh, any of this. Uh, Does anybody on the crew, maybe somebody listening? No, not me. Okay. Finally. Uh, Yeah. Nick. No, I was just
4: going to say, I I did know she, uh, she was a very clever lady and that she had uh, invented some stuff, but I've no idea what aircraft she worked on. I'm sorry.
2: Okay. Maybe she was the one that put the, those wings on the back of a Cadillac, you know, to make it look fast. No, I'm just kidding. It does look uh, (laughs) fast. Lovely. I want one of those. Finally, apparently the parts for the last Airbus A380 have arrived at the final assembly plant. Once it's complete, the program will have ended. Fortunately, there are still plenty flying around the world. Though recent events show you shouldn't take it for granted, they'll be there for as long as you might think. Or they may not be (laughs) there as long as you might think. Anyway, I think that's enough for for now. Otherwise, this could go on forever. Wishing you all clear skies and smooth landings. This is Texas Anne LaShock signing off. Thank you, Texas Anne LaShock. Uh, anything to say about any of that stuff, folks?
4: No, it's just an, uh, it's a, an amazing thing. Uh, we think of her as a Hollywood actress and a famous one yeah. and a very beautiful lady to find out that she had a, a real uh, mind. Uh, in
2: there as well. Brilliant. Uh, I yeah, didn't... and all
3: all kinds of different things, you know.
2: I had no idea. I'm thinking, oh, so... I just knew she was an actress. But, wow, quite something. All right. Um, seven, Christian. Uh, hi, gang. Okay, as I'm listening to episode 411, I have to admit I'm a little behind. However, in listening to the first news item discussion about liquids being spilled on the center console, Captain Nick referred to the quote, multifunction box going U.S. I was thinking, what does he mean? What does U.S. mean? United States? Unserviceable? Then as a non-American, it all made sense. U.S.A. stands for unserviceable of America. (laughs) No, I don't think you have that right, Christian. Uh, Maybe partly right. Yeah, the uh, Christian base in lower... Canuckistan Canuckistan. (laughs) (laughs) or Canada. Uh Oh, now we got Nick going. (laughs) He's going to expire as we watch him on the video.
4: Yeah, that's right. Now see, it makes me want to
2: cough.
5: (laughs) Well, at least Doug does right above him, so she can do CPR.
2: So, yeah, Yeah, I'll just (laughs) jump on my head. (laughs) So, yeah, that's that's a term that we don't – kind of ironic those of us in the U.S. don't really use the term a lot we usually say something's broken or <laughs> not working or something like that not unserviceable but I, I noticed what, right off the bat uh, with when Nick joined the show he used the term a lot unserviceable a lot. Mm-hmm. and and then I notice in NOTAMs um, that that's a term that's used a lot in NOTAMs as well if it's something is U.S. it's unserviceable which means it doesn't work don't try to use it silly person.
3: It's just not really part of our vernacular. No, it's not. It's understood, but...
2: Yeah,
4: exactly. That's another U.S., understood. It is. Very good.
3: (laughs)
1: Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm confused. Is this unserviceable, (laughs) understood, Understood. or the United States? I'm
3: so lost.
2: I am too. Well, thank you, Christian, for making it uh, even muddier. Uh, This is from ATN um let's see greetings to the apg crew from snowy montreal i've been listening to your podcast for the past year. i want to see, i want to hear stuff say montreal.
3: montreal
2: oh see i, I knew she could wrong. do it that was bad <laughs> Uh, I, I can't do that.
3: Bad feedback from- I've been listening anyway. to your
2: podcast for the past year. I must say that I really look forward to each new episode. I find it to be the right balance between tech talk, honest discussions, knowledge, and humor that makes the, what is it now, four or five hours go by so fast. Uh-huh-huh. Wow. <laughs> um, kidding aside, I wanted to take the time to send my thanks for the recommendation of one of your listeners on apg411 regarding the dp davies interviews on the aero society podcast i definitely enjoyed it thoroughly and i highly recommend it to anyone with an interest in aviation i believe you talked about that nick didn't you and you got some of the some of the uh information for your plane tail from it
4: absolutely it's a treasure trove of interviews not just of dp davis but of uh, many fine aviators of uh, that uh, era so there, um, there are some really uh, oh uh, including um winkles eric winkles brown the uh, amazing test pilot so yeah uh, go and listen to them some of them are fabulous
2: i'll have to do that i have not yet done that myself so a good reminder we've well, got
4: plenty of time
2: yep sure do <laughs> Um, let's see. He continues. If I can add a book recommendation of my own, I don't know. Should we let him add a book recommendation?
4: No, only yeah, if it's not sure. about Concord. Well, okay. Got enough books about Concord.
2: <laughs> okay. Sorry. Sorry, Etienne. Uh, <laughs> Nick just vetoed your whole book recommendation. No, we're going to do it anyway, because Liz is saying, nope, we're going to do it. I would suggest Flying Concord by Brian Calvert. Calvert? probably known by many of your listeners, but a gem of a book for people interested in the unique history of the Concorde. Is that some kind of nonverbal communication there, uh, Nick?
4: Uh, no, no, no. I love Concord. <laughs> okay. I love listening about it and hearing about it and reading Read about it. it all the
2: time. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> Lastly, for those interested about coal-operated jets, Ooh. I mean, classic metal. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Uh, there is a great documentary on YouTube about... Now, how do you pronounce this airline's name, Nolinor? Nolinor? Nolinor, Nolinor,
4: Nolinor. Sounds like a soap liquid, doesn't it? You use for washing out. It
2: up. does. Nolinor. Nolinor. Seven thirty-seven, two hundred operations in northern Canada on gravel runways, and then he gives us a link to a YouTube video, which I watched. And ATN. Had- they didn't take off or land on gravel runways. No, was very I, I was very
4: disappointed. <laughs> I thought we were going to see gravel flying yeah. everywhere and crunching around. Uh, you have to search yeah. for
3: some other videos because def- they're definitely out there. With uh, Well,
2: yeah. I think we should make Etienne uh, – Look that up and said, Ice runways, okay. snow packed yeah.
3: runways, gravel runways. They do all I that. think it
2: was fake that's news. What he, what he <laughs> I said. I think it. so.
4: By the way, I love the picture of that 73. Uh, Didn't the paint job make it look like a little
2: dumpy thing? I mean, <laughs> it is uh, a
1: dumpy well, th- <laughs> thing. <laughs> <of 7-3. laughs> it's,
2: it's not accurate. the paint job, Nick. <laughs> oh, okay. It really is stubby. We, but look, it looks really short and fat, doesn't it, it is. Yep. Well, that's why okay. it was nicknamed the Fluff, the Flying Speed Brake, uh, several other <laughs> not very nice things. Yep, Dana? I think
3: it's a great little airplane.
2: Were you saying something, Dana?
5: No, Julie's oh. just talking to me in the
2: background. Okay. I'm sorry. Sorry. I, I thought you were trying to interject with something.
5: Um, so anyway. No, you guys are doing a great job.
2: <clears throat> oh, thanks. Um, let's see. Uh, he says, I work for one of the mining companies located at the northern tip of the province in Quebec. And we use both Nolenor and Air Inuit 737-200 combis as our main link with civilization, as the site's runway is not paved, which is CTP nine or Donaldson airport. I hope it can be of interest. Thank. And now I think in that video, they did land at one of these. No, no, I don't think so. It looked like it was a regular asphalt runway to me. Anyway, thank you for all your hard work and hope that I get to meet you. One of these days, maybe for a poutine.
3: Mm,
5: now we're good. talking.
4: Now, you but- know, uh, he mentioned, or uh, well, you mentioned, uh, pronouncing Montréal. Uh, I remember one day uh, checking in with them, and I said, uh, Bonjour, Montréal. Uh-oh. And uh, uh, the you got guy... you all French? Exactly right. <laughs> the, the controller came back and spoke nothing but French, <laughs> and I had... I kind of sat there going, "Oh God, what have I done?" So I, knew I then had to. Uh, I
2: sorry.
4: had to quietly English. admit that I I didn't understand a word of what he said.
2: I wonder could if we he go knew. Back to English, please. He probably knew that you were. Yeah, He
4: recognized the accent. And he
3: goes, "Watch this." Yeah, yep.
4: exactly right. I, I'm exactly right. Why he did it? I'm sure there's no way I would have sounded like a uh, French Canadian. <laughs>
2: That's funny.
5: I don't, I don't think any, anything out of your mouth would sound very French at all.
4: <laughs> no, not at all. No, even my kissing isn't very French. Oh, well, we don't oh, know. Oh, well, we're going to ask Julie about that one. <laughs>
2: Julie? <laughs> Julie? <laughs> Julie or Jillie? Jillie. Oh, yeah. Oh,
5: Julie. I, love, Jilly. So, I, I thought you said Julie. Julie. Hold on. Julie, <laughs> yeah, how, does, how does Nick kiss? Is he a good French kisser? <laughs> She's looking at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, you are.
1: <laughs>
2: All right, moving on. What was it? Uh, we should say
9: uh, family show, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> family show.
2: Anyway, poutine is uh, remind me again. Is that the French fries with the gravy the on top? Fries the gra- yeah. French fries with gravy. French
5: fries with brown gravy and uh, cheese curds.
2: Actually, Dana
3: and I had some poutine here in Charlotte at one of our meetups oh. a ways back.
4: Yeah, Isn't that did. the name of the mm-hmm. gland I've got swollen down on the side of my face?
3: Parotid, Nick.
4: Oh, that's parotid. parotid. Okay, poutine
2: right. parotid. That sounds. Is good. That, that a kind of good. French fry somewhat. as well? A parotid fries?
3: <laughs> I don't know if that would be very appetizing. Oh,
2: okay. If Fair. you find some brown gravy on that thing, you should probably go to the doctor. That's probably what's
4: causing the swelling. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> Open the thing up and watch it's, all this brown gravy.
4: It's
3: a very gravy. technical scientific problem. <laughs>
4: well, the, the the doctor knows best. <laughs>
2: Okay. Now, from our Canadian expert, she says french fried cheese curds and then gravy on top. Um, I'm sorry. I'm um uh, And people
3: see. think Americans are the unhealthy ones.
2: Yes. To melt the curds. Liz, how how is that Whoa. poutine? You said you eat it all the time, right? <laughs> I don't think she's ever had it.
4: <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm surprised she's she's lived as long as she has.
5: If I know. She has. It's actually not that easy to find. I mean, more now. Uh, but uh, Toronto, it's it's actually more of an Eastern Canadian delicacy, I think, oh, than it okay. is towards t- Toronto and then French- oh, Canadian, French-Canadian.
2: French-Canadian, yeah. okay. Ooh, KFC gravy. I love KFC gravy. That's that's good gravy. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Ben Todd said uh, KFC gravy on fries is next best in UK. Uh, that's the
3: English uh, <laughs> version of poutine.
2: I guess so. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> mm um let's see what time oh, is it with lobster on top. That's great. 10
3: have. to 10 minutes to two hours
2: okay uh then we should continue with um we're knocking them out today that's great um mark number nine says uh hi apg crew i was working at northrop oh i thought we were gonna um let's see okay never mind i was working at northrop Grumman NG, when the U.S. Air Force was buying the new air tanker known as the KCX project, uh, Northrop Grumman had partnered with Airbus to bid on the project. Airbus needed a U.S. partner to be able to bid. The plane would be built in Alabama. I truly believe the Airbus plane was the better choice, but came down to political pressure. Although I worked in the shipbuilding part of the company, Northrop Grumman, Northrup Grumman They are a great company. They put lots of capital into our yard and changed the company culture in a good way. After 10 years, they spun us off and moved on to other defense areas. Looking forward to part two of the tanker story. Well, hey, that actually came the next episode. We actually did part two, so Mark already does that. Does that mean
4: Mark was uh, working on the blended body boat? uh, we being in the Northrop Grumman Shipbuilding Company.
2: Did they really have a blended body
4: boat? Well, you said, they said we, we said earlier they were floating the Ah, okay. Body.
2: Could be. Could be. Um, we'll have yeah.
4: to... I'm sorry. I'm referring back to an old and poor joke.
2: <laughs> I like it, though. It's good. Here, yeah. let, let's, let's hear it again. Doing my best.
4: <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. Because I'm a poor, sick man. Give me a break. <laughs> okay.
2: So that is uh, from the, uh, the better-looking, uh, more handsome Van Ram brother, Mark. Or maybe Tim would object to that. I would say probably so.
3: Have, have we made that determination?
2: Uh, we need to have a contest. <laughs> okay.
3: Yeah. Send in some pictures, guys. We yes.
2: All right. Um, By the way, what was when you get
4: spun off? Is it nice? After 10 years, they spun us off.
2: I would imagine. It depends on how quickly they spin you. Okay. Um, Item 10 from JJ, not Pittsburgh, (laughs) plane (laughs) tails and motorcycles. Um, Number one, Um, we actually got two uh, pieces of feedback from JJ, not Pittsburgh. I absolutely loved the last plane talk about the mid-air refueling and hope to hear more of it. Piggybacking on the question last week about the most harrowing flying experiences you've ever had. What are maybe the worst crew experiences you may have had with a fellow pilot or flight attendant? Thanks guys. Still love the podcast. I'm looking forward to hearing Rick as well. Um, and then I'll just go ahead and do his second piece of feedback as well. Hey, everybody. This question is for captain Dana. I'm a private pilot and a fellow motorcycle rider. Does Acme care about you riding motorcycles or is it just a ride at your own risk kind of thing? Thanks in advance for the feedback. Cheers. What do you think, Dana?
5: Um, yeah, there's no specific policy. And, oh, by the way, awesome to hear, J.J., not Pittsburgh, that you're a fellow knees-in-the-breeze type of guy. Um, anyways, yeah, there is no specific policy uh, as far as motorcycles go, whether you can ride or ri- not ride them. There is actually uh, another interesting note Another uh, in hobby is There is a specific rule on uh, scuba diving in flying. Uh, you are not allowed to uh, participate in any type of scuba diving within 24 hours of of, of flying uh, at the airline. So, but yes, makes yeah. good
3: sense. You don't yeah. want the bends.
5: Yeah, you don't want the bends, and but uh, you know that's one of those things that it, it's a written policy in in our procedure, mm-hmm. in, in our manual, whereas uh, motorcycles. Not I, they probably prefer that we don't because obviously it's a risky uh, proposition. Doesn't take a whole lot for us to get medically injured to the point that we would not be able to perform our job. So
2: they just added a new one, Dana. I don't know if you've seen the uh, the new um, uh, revision. Uh, we're not allowed to ride in steam powered rockets. Apparently, um,
3: <laughs> like what's his face? I missed yeah. that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: Mad Mike or whatever his name Mad- was. <laughs> well, they,
4: they worried we're going to discover the world is flat. I think so.
2: Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah probably <laughs> <laughs> flat Earth. Uh, let's see. Most harrowing flying experience with a crew. I think. I think. Um, Steph's most harrowing experience fits that category, right? Because you were with somebody else, didn't you? Say that you were. Um, you experienced something, but you weren't actually. Pilot in command. You were flying with somebody else.
3: Oh yeah, that was when my uh, friend tried to fly us into the trees after yeah. his go-around off the uh, grass strip. Yeah, um, that was crew experience, I suppose.
2: I would say the one that that I would say is the most harrowing. I can't say on the on the podcast.
3: <laughs> yes,
5: that's exactly what I was thinking. Jeff. I mean, okay. it's, there are a lot of things I'm just not going to talk about.
2: Yeah. Uh, but it was a doozy. Let me just put it that way. Um, mm-hmm. It was crew resource management at its worst. Yep, not good. When I was, and old. I
3: suspect most people have, uh, you know, varying degrees of how bad it actually is. But everyone has some story somewhere of yeah. when things don't go quite to
2: standards. I don't know what the statutes of limitations, the statute of mm-hmm. limitations probably is for my story. It. So yeah, I'm still close to retirement. Good. I'm not, I'm I think, not ready. I think, you know?
3: <laughs> I think after retirement, you can
2: probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, share. I'm
5: sure Nick has some some stories he can share because, well,
4: he's retired. True. Yeah, but some of these people are still my friends.
2: Uh.
3: <laughs> and still working, perhaps. And you wouldn't want yeah. to,
4: like, uh, well, the one I was going to tell, he's not, but I, he's still alive, so I might Is wait for a bit. No, but, <laughs> I've got some pretty harrowing <laughs> stories with Nigel. You're right, right. Yeah,
2: I have some pretty which, harrowing stories with Nigel. <laughs>
4: yeah. One of which involved, uh, uh, you see, I was an air defender, so I didn't do a lot of uh, ground attack stuff. This was when I was flying hawks. Uh, as a uh, instructor uh, and I uh, just done the one turk on the Hawks and Nigel was with me we we're on the same squadron we flew together quite often and uh, one day we're in a in a Hawk buzzing around and he said uh, uh, let me show you what it's like to do a real uh, you know a, a attack on a on a target and I, I said oh okay so instead of the usual 250 feet he plops this damned Hawk down to about 70 feet and rattles along doing his his little map bit, you know, where he thumbs along the map. And then he did a, a pop attack and dived onto this target. And I'm not kidding. He absolutely scared me <laughs> rigid. Uh, and we must have nearly blown the tiles off this poor bloke's house that we attacked uh, and then hurtled out. And then, of course, he, he said, oh, and then, of course, if we get... Engaged by a Sam or something, as we come off the target, we do lots of jinking, and and I'm sitting there going, he's going to kill me. I'm going <laughs> to die. I'm going to die right now. Uh, somehow we didn't, uh, and uh, I was very pleased about that. But he, he really did. He had me
2: terrified. <laughs> oi! <laughs> <There he is. laughs> oi! Oi! <Love> oi! Oi! <laughs> Love it. Very good. Nigel is yeah. in the chat room. <laughs> oh damn! I
4: I went out to be a nice surprise for him.
2: I knew he was listening
3: to play. I saw him post something earlier, so I, I oh, that's kind awesome. I that out a little. <laughs> you I don't know if
2: he remembers that. Well done, Steph. He probably does. <laughs> well done, Nigel. <sighs> yeah, yeah. Knowing I've only known Nigel for a short period of time, I I know better than to ever get into an airplane with him. <laughs> yeah,
4: well, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I'd have been happier if he'd been flying a Tristar. I must admit.
3: <laughs> you know, we were talking about doing. Um, uh, some coffee fund, uh, or, um, oh my gosh, crew logs for, uh, uh, patrons. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I meant to say. Um, I'll have to, um, since it's not strictly aviation related, um, when we were in Florida this past weekend, we were reminiscing about the time where we almost sunk a sailboat. Um, so perhaps I will tell that tale oh, be in a, a uh, bonus feature. Wow. Yeah. It's one of my earliest childhood. Well, one of my clearest childhood memories. I think I was seven at the time.
4: My wife did sink a sailboat. I was in it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she was my very first time sailing, and she we were already going out, and uh, we got out of the middle of the Solent, and then turned this damn thing upside down. I had to be rescued by the uh, the uh, <laughs> RNLI. So no,
3: ours wasn't. Well, we didn't have to be rescued, but it, it involves quite a few um, twists and turns along the way. So I will I will tell that story. So I
2: look forward to that. Okanoke. Well, I think it's now about that time in our show for this week's installment of The Old Pilot's Plane Tales, and this one is entitled The A320.
4: Oh yeah, I'm just going to say apologies, this is very Airbus orientated.
2: Oh, that's fine. We love Airbus here. Here we go. (laughs)
4: I'm going to have to
5: learn
2: to love Airbus. There you go. I mean, it's a great airplane. They're all great airplanes. I love this music too.
4: The Old Pilot's Plane Tales. The A320. Boeing was the most successful aircraft manufacturing company on the planet. The company was formed in 1917 and it went on to produce biplanes, monoplanes, metal aircraft, pressurized aircraft, jet airliners, many versions of military bombers and entire generations of American families got used to climbing onto a Boeing to fly across the United States and beyond. Across the seas there were few other serious options and the Boeing brand could be found in almost every corner of the globe. The 60s and 70s were the heydays with the arrival of the 727, 737 and 747. The 80s saw the 757 and the 767 hit the markets, and they were seen as unbeatable. But in Europe, a consortium of small companies saw something that Boeing might have missed. It may have started with the Concorde, which was to become the world's only supersonic airliner after the Tu-144 literally fell by the wayside, and Boeing's 2707 was cancelled after Congress pulled its funding as costs escalated and design goals fluctuated. The real beginning was the arrival of the A300, the world's first wide-body twin airliner, which ushered ETOPS onto the aviation stage. The birth of Airbus wasn't easy. European governments offered and then withdrew support, but by 1970 it had its name. Whilst the two companies fought it out in the glamorous long-haul arena of the mighty twins with the arrival of the 777, in the short-haul market— Boeing was seen by a few to be resting on its laurels. The 737 was a child of the 60s, and the MD-80 and 90, a derivative of the DC-9 from the same era, they were being stretched and upgraded, but underneath they were essentially the same first generation of early jet airliner. Inside the States, the legacy airlines were very happy with their product, but elsewhere there were markets for something new and exciting. Airbus saw an opportunity to completely redesign the modern airliner and take on the well-established dominance of Boeing. It began back in 1977 with the Joint European Transport. Yes, I'm sorry, it spelt jet with British Aerospace, Aerospatial, Dornier, and Fokker combining at the old Vickers site in Weybridge. They were going to collaborate in the formation of a 130-180-seat to single-aisle airliner powered by two CFM-56s. It was going to be produced in three variants, the SA-1, SA-2, and SA-3, and although they didn't realise it at the time, they would become the A319, the A320, and the A321. The project would morph into the A320 when Delta Airlines showed interest in working with Airbus on a 150-seater. Although from the outside, the A320 looked like a conventional narrow-body single-aisle airliner, With two pylon-mounted turbofans, the approach taken by Airbus was far from conventional. The basic design was attractive in that it had a wider cabin by 8 inches than both the 737 and the 757, that's over 20 centimetres, which may not seem a lot until you climb into your seat for a long flight, or realize that the Airbus can take the standard LD-3 freight containers in its cargo hold. The overhead bins were larger than Boeing's, and the cockpit an ergonomic delight, well designed and laid out, with glass instrument displays clearly visible without the presence of a large control yoke in front of them. The airframe was also very advanced, with considerable weight savings from the use of composite materials and aluminium alloys. The main area of difference, though, was in the design of the aircraft's flight control system. Gone were the great lengths of heavy steel cables, rods and pulleys that connected old-fashioned flight controls to yokes in the cockpit. Instead was a fighter-type side-mounted control stick connected to five flight control computers which fed commands to the control services using lightweight electrical wire. The A320 was to be the world's first airliner, controlled by a digital fly-by-wire system. Airline pilots are, in general and by their very nature, a conservative bunch. They like to rely on tried and tested systems, and they resist change. Now they were being faced with a modern flight control system that they couldn't easily explain on a whiteboard, that they couldn't heft in their hands, tinker with, and adjust in the hangar, and it was going to take a little time in a classroom to understand. Despite having been around since the 60s, and the days of the Apollo Lunar Training Vehicle, Avro Canada's CF-105 Arrow, Concorde, the F-16, the F-18, the Space Shuttle and many more, there was a lot of resistance to this technology. Most of this resistance came purely from a lack of knowledge and appreciation of what could be offered. And it has to be said that Airbus didn't do a great job of educating their customers. Then came a blow that redoubled the prejudice against this new fly-by-wire aircraft, Air France Flight 296. Airframe Fox Golf Fox Kilo Charlie was the ninth A320 to be built, and it first flew on the 6th of January 1988, three days before its total destruction. Air France was the A320 launch customer, and this was the third airframe that the airline had delivered, and it certainly had that new aircraft smell, since it had only been in service for a couple of days. The captain was 44 years old, and had been with his airline for 20 years, flying the Caraval, the 707727737 Airbus A300 and 310. He was a highly distinguished training captain, and had been appointed the head of training for the company's new fleet, as well as being their technical pilot. He had been heavily involved in the test flying of the A320, so he had a great deal of experience. His first officer was also very experienced, and had qualified as an A320 captain three months prior to the crash. The aircraft had been chartered to fly 130 passengers from Charles de Gaulle Airport to basel Mulhouse Airport for a press conference, followed by another short flight to take part in a show at Habsheim Airfield. Most of the passengers were journalists and raffle prize winners, and for many members of the public this was to be their first chance to see the aircraft perform. The plan was to complete a low-speed fly pass at 100 feet with the aircraft in the landing configuration, a steep climb away followed by a second high-speed pass in the opposite direction. Although they had busy weekends, they didn't receive their flight plans until the morning of the flight. The captain reassured his first officer, saying, ''Don't worry, I've done it 20 times before.'' even though the investigation established that neither pilot had previously made a similar demonstration flight. The crew's pre-flight preparation should have included a study of Air France's regulations relating to their minimum overfly height, which was 170 feet, even though previous demonstration flights that the airline performed had been done at 100 feet. At basel Mulhouse, it wasn't until the taxi out that the captain briefed his first officer on how he would conduct the flypast. He said that he would do the pass at 100 feet in flat 3 with the gear down and at maximum angle of attack. To achieve this, he would have to disengage the high angle of attack protection known as Alpha Floor. He advised the first officer that he would need him to handle the throttles, and that the captain might also need assistance to overcome the stick loads that would be present. It would be the FO's job to initiate toga, full power, when ordered by the captain. In case you're wondering, alpha floor is an automatic protection applied by the autothrust system, which, regardless of the thrust lever position, applies full toga power when the aircraft approaches the maximum angle of attack. Below one hundred feet, alpha floor is not available. There were some important omissions made. The captain gave no indication of a specific point where the climb would start. There was no task sharing mentioned other than throttle control, particularly as the flight crew consisted of two captains. Despite saying that he was familiar with this maneuver, the captain had never performed a flypast without alpha floor protection, which would have to be disabled for this low pass. A takeoff and short transit was conducted without incident, and then flight 296 lined up for the flypast with the gear down, auto thrust off, and alpha floor inhibited. Unfamiliar with the airfield, they started their descent a little late. Passing 300 feet, the GPWS chimed as they had not yet selected flap three, so it was turned off. The radio altimeter called the height as they passed 300, 200 and then 100. When the captain arrived at his briefed height, his first officer advised him, OK, you're at 100 feet there, watch, watch. But the captain keeps descending and all the while the throttles are at idle. The radio altimeter calls 40 feet. 15 seconds later, there's the distinctive noise of the thrust levers being pushed up to full power and at the same time the radio altimeter calls 30 feet. The speed is now well below a normal approach speed. At this point, the aircraft engines are sitting at idle power only 29% N1. In comparison, during a normal approach, the N1 fan would be rotating at between 40 and 70% N1. From their low idle position, it was going to take some time for them to spool up to full power, time the captain no longer had. As the engine started to increase power, the A320 started to brush the trees at the end of the airfield. The deceleration was significant, and the engines ingested leaves and branches, which caused them both to fail. The aircraft sank into the trees and disappeared, shortly followed by a huge fireball. Remarkably, there are only three fatalities. The inquiry establishes that the aircraft suffered no faults, the weather was good, the crew were well qualified, the flight controls operated normally, as did the engines, and that the pilots were primarily to blame. In his defence, the captain and others claimed that the flight recorder and the cockpit voice recorder had been tampered with, that the flight controls didn't follow his orders and that the engines didn't respond correctly, all of which were not proven in court. In a final twist, prosecutions by French courts saw the captain, his first officer, two Air France officials and the president of the flying club sponsoring the air show guilty of involuntary manslaughter. The rumours and falsehoods following this crash echoed around the world, particularly from parties not familiar with the workings of fly-by-wire. Experienced pilots who ought to have known better blamed the flight control system out of hand, and others bad-mouthed the A320 out of malice. Airbus pilots were often asked, in all seriousness, if the thrust would often fail to respond, or if the aircraft would unexpectedly do its own thing, and the unfounded suspicion that surrounds the Airbus fly-by-wire aircraft still lingers, all completely unproved and unfounded. This didn't prevent Airbus from developing a whole family of other models based on the lovely A320. First it was stretched to the A321 and the A325 and then shrunk into the A319 and the dinky little A318. The A320e, for enhanced version, had improved efficiency and more recently came the Neo, the new engine option with another leap forward in efficiency. Despite the success of the A320, Airbus are looking forwards towards its replacement, tentatively dubbed the NSR for New Short Range Aircraft, although the success of the NEO means that this development has been shifted to the back burner for a while. For the first decade of its life, the A320 family was significantly outsold by that of the 737 but by 1996 the difference was insignificant. The crossover came in 2002 when the Airbus began to outstrip the 737 and as of January this year Airbus will have delivered over 9,000 of the A320 family to 330 different operators. Despite these little airbuses only having been around since 1988, instead of 1965 for the 737, the Airbus A320 family orders have now overtaken those of the Boeing, partly, of course, due to the grounding of the 737 MAX. A great little aircraft, though, it has truly earned its place in history and it's an aircraft that its pilots are rightly proud of. This plane tale was produced to celebrate the wonderful A320 Podcast's 100th show. Congratulations to Matt and Andy and their team for creating such a high-quality and enjoyable training tool, and I trust they will continue to pass on the world generations of Airbus pilots. You can find the A320 podcast at a320podcast.co.uk
1: Wow.
2: That was something else and that music. <laughs> wow, I love that uh, choice of, of uh, music there for that at the end. Well,
4: thanks it to was... the uh, U.S. Uh, Marine Band Uh, Thank you very much, guys. Was that the
2: uh, was that the cannons from the Marine Band, or was that that A three hundred and twenty crashing into the trees? A bit of both, I think. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) and but I still refer to the A three hundred and twenty as the (laughs) Satan with wings. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) What? (laughs) Don't know. uh, Captain Al knows some hitmen. You (laughs) do know that, don't you? I'm just kidding. People know. I love the airplane. What
4: Absolutely.
3: happened to the A325? Yeah, yeah. I had the same real question as Neil and uh Okay, well,
4: that was what the A321 500 was often called. Ah. So ah. I'm 320-5. using a colloquial term there. Oh, like it wasn't the, yeah, okay. actually the A325, <clears throat> it was the A321 500.
2: Gotcha. Like the 744 would be the 74400. Yeah, right. gotcha. Get it. Okay. At least
4: I'm pretty sure, because I'd never heard of it. I was uh, going by the. Uh, the stuff that I had read about it. Hmm. All right. Interesting. But uh, yeah, please send a I, copy
3: I, of that directly to Rick. Yeah, it's too bad Rick wasn't here. on the next yes. show.
4: <laughs> yes, I was just I was just waiting. I almost, you know, think thought I'll I'll slide away. Had Rick been on, I might have slid away and gone to bed before <laughs> the, end of the tale. <laughs> But uh, you have to bear in mind, I was uh, making that plain tale for a bunch of A320 fans. Enough so of I your excuses. To, I had to lay it on a bit
2: thick. There, so, <laughs> uh-huh, apologies. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Sorry about that, Boeing. <laughs>
3: You're yeah. right there. Fantastic podcast. So,
2: Yes, it there. is. And out. fantastic podcasters
3: mm-hmm.
2: on that show. All right. Very good. Um, good stuff. Okay. Uh, shall we continue with the, our feedback? No, this there will you. go ahead. Sure. Oh, no, I think we are home. home. Okay, <laughs> you know what? It looks like we're going to be able to, to – go. we're going to knock out all of it, I think, which is going to be like a major you milestone. So? Yeah. True. True. You think so? Maybe. I don't know. We'll see.
4: Let's, let's give it a go.
2: Okay. Optimism. Uh, this one uh, tried to get to last time and didn't make it, so we've got it this time, Rollo. Uh, Private pilot Rollo here. Once again, I'm sending this feedback from the far reach. Oh, wait, um, Liz, maybe you can put that um, overlay up from the far reaches of the Western Pacific. I don't believe I've ever heard anyone send in feedback from this part of the world. So I thought it'd be cool to do it for the sake of our friends over at opposing bases, which like secret location code names, we'll call this Pacific island Captain Nick Island. In honor of the Air Force Base, that's here with the same surname as the old pilot, only with a slightly different spelling. Oh, well, we, you know what? This is the APG. It's Anderson Air Base on the island of Guam. Anyways, I'm out here with uh, my... You've
3: given away all the secrets.
2: Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, anyways, I'm out here with my squadron, and the irony of it is what that we're operating out of Captain Nick Island while turning wrenches on Captain Nick's favorite, Boeing the old legacy hornets or as we like to call them baby hornets it's incredible that these old war- warbirds are still in service in many countries or including the US i've now gotten the opportunity to work on the c9 the navy's version of the mad dog the super hornet and currently the baby hornet on to a different topic the other day i went on a hike down a historic trail on the old navy airfield which is no which is no longer in use The trail took us through an old taxiway and runway threshold overgrown with a jungle now. We continued down the rugged trail which led us to a World War II era F 4U Corsair crash site. The aircraft allegedly went down sometime in 1940, based on the little information I could find online. The main fuselage, half of each wing, and parts of the landing gear are still there. The engine, prop, and empennage are no longer there. This was a really cool experience and adventure, and we could feel the history that surrounds that crash site and the old airfield. Like always, I've attached a few pictures of our adventure to share with the APG community, and we have one up there right now if you're watching the video, and that's uh, Rollo sitting um, where the uh, – I guess, would the Corsair have an ejection seat? Probably not. They probably just, uh, no. just no. bailed out of those things, right? Yep. Uh, so – Anyway, yeah, you can clearly see the uh, the wing spar on the Corsair, which has a very distinctive bend to it. Yeah,
4: yeah, wing crank. Yeah, it, it is. It's quite it's quite easy to recognize, even though it's in a pretty poor state.
2: Yeah, had it not been uh, F4U, I'd probably can't. say I don't know what that is. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, very cool. So, um, if anybody's interested, you can see more pictures I posted on Instagram. And he says, "Feel free to add my handle to the show notes, and it's at a r o d l eight one. Again, that'll be in the show notes. And uh, let's see. In this chaotic chaotic time of coronavirus, wishing the crew and community unlimited health. Until next time, private private pilot Rolo. And again, uh, just check out the show notes, and you can see the other photos that he has taken of the crash site and some signs." Etc. From uh, this beautiful tropical isle. All right, brilliant. Thank you.
4: Uh, uh, can I do a quick correction? Yes, yeah, sure. Uh, on myself, yeah. um, the A three twenty five was actually another name for the A three twenty one. So oh. they when they stretched the A three twenty. They called it initially the A320-500, uh, and the A325 gave it both names, but eventually it was called the A321, oh. so uh, that's where that comes from. Very interesting. Gotcha. I had got it a little bit wrong.
2: Okay, wait a minute. I th- I feel like we're... Yep. Yep. Back up to 50%. Above, above 50%? Yes, above 50%. 50%. Well, it's somewhere Absolutely. in there.
3: <laughs> in that vicinity. Give or take 20%. Percent. Yeah.
2: yeah. Okay. That's the way we do it here. All right. Item 12. Gus. Now, this is an interesting one. (laughs) Uh, Anybody want a game for taking this one? No.
3: Uh, I'll take it because he's got a question for me me first. He says, hi, APG crew and community. I hope you're all doing good. First, a quick question for Steph. I noticed it's been a long time since you went flying. I know. Any reason in particular, don't you miss it? As a GA pilot, I cannot be more than two weeks without it. Uh, I would start shaking and sweating. Don't tell my medical examiner. Your secret is safe with us, Gus. guess. Um, I'll answer that real quick. Yeah, it's been a very long time, and part of it had to do with um, some family circumstances that were happening that were keeping me busy on my um, otherwise free weekends. Um, I did a lot of travel over the past year, which I'm grateful for now, because I think it's going to be a while with, without some of that. Um, so I kind of Satisfied that uh, itch or bug that I was having for a while to get out and see lots of different places in the world and see, and visit with friends and and do all kinds of stuff. Um, so I, I do miss it. Um, I oddly enough have been planning to get back into it. I've updated my medical and all kinds of other stuff I need to do, and have been in touch with flight school. And I don't know if I'm actually going to be able to do that for the next little while. I'm going to. Um, call the flight school tomorrow and see if they're still... Um, I'm still getting emails from them saying they're running specials on things. I think trying to to get uh, business, but I don't know if um, with some of these stay-at-home orders, if that's going to be allowed. So it might be a little while longer. Um, that's okay. That'll give me time to um, I don't know, study up some on some things and, and brush up on on book knowledge side of things. And I'll get back into it. Don't worry. Um, but yeah, it, it's. Um, I do miss it. So... I'll get back there. Don't worry. Uh, Changing subjects, I stumbled upon this article and wanted to know your thoughts about any alternative source of energy for airliners. Do you think we are going to see any of this in the near future? And he includes a link to a Yahoo.com lifestyle uh, article. Uh, The title says, Forget Fuel Tanks, Batteries, um, and Batteries. This new electric jet concept uses air friction to generate power. Do You want me to go ahead and read through that? Yeah. If you like. Okay.
2: Sorry. It's I think okay. I muted myself.
3: <laughs> this article says uh, While the most current trend in business aviation is all about creating the next generation of electric and hybrid power aircraft, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> a new kind of space race uh, could emerge if the physics actually support the theory behind Ether One. Uh, designer Michael Bonikowski's concept is probably four or five generations ahead of the current mode of thinking, but Bonikowski told the Rob Report that he was inspired by the recent. Maverick concept by Airbus. Uh, That aircraft's unique design helps reduce drag while providing more cabin space. I've been thinking a lot about this lately and wondered if that could happen if, or what could happen if a big company would like to create an electric plane. Um... So electric-powered planes to take off as jet fuel costs rise. Uh, the race to design electric-powered uh, planes for the commercial market is taking off. More than a dozen companies are designing the, quote, equal-friendly aircraft, but Zunum Aero in Illinois says they aim to be the first. What the uh, Warsaw-based engineer came up with is potentially revolutionary. Ether-1 uses friction between the air and high speeds of the jet as its primary source of renewable on-demand energy. While it looks like a jet from the future, the primary difference between Ether-1 and the contemporary hybrid aircraft are the uh, triboelectric... Nanogenerators. I have no idea what any of that is. Nailed it. Nailed it. Uh, yep. <laughs> in the wings, the nanogenerators convert mechanical energy directly into electrical energy. The aircraft does not need large fuel tanks or large battery banks since it will generate electricity from air molecules in the troposphere and stratosphere. As when travels at high speeds, his idea is to harness the friction generated from vibrations in the airframe and the bend of the wings. That energy will power the electric motors and recharge the batteries. This ready-made source of power means that either one will require smaller battery packs than aircraft uh, relying on stored battery power. He concedes that this aircraft will need some battery packs uh, during frictionless points during takeoff and landing. Uh, the concept may never fly out of the realm of sci-fi, but it demonstrates the same out-of-the-box thinking that powered the Wright Brothers at Kitty
2: Hawk. Wait, 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 wait. wait. I think we have a, some video of it coming in. Oh, here it is.
3: <laughs> ah, I know that sound. I didn't realize that was the sound of yeah. friction-powered uh, energy conversion. Ether one right there. Ether one.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. Very That's impressive.
3: I enjoy all attempts to revolutionize f- uh, flying, and he also designed a new kind of rotorcraft called the fusion copter. So all kinds of ideas. We'll see what comes with
2: it. Yeah. The only problem I think might be physics. <laughs>
4: Well, no, no, no. Uh, it, it comes from uh, Faraday's law of electromagnetic induction. So uh, I don't know if, uh, if physics actually is how it works. Hmm.
2: Okay. Well, hmm. Perpetual. Apparently,
4: the tiny physical de- deformations uh, that occur on the surface of uh, an aircraft uh, can be turned into electricity. Uh, using uh, lo- tiny little uh, piezoelectric uh, devices that uh I feel you like have, you'd, you'd have, have to be a harness lot. a
3: lot. Yeah, yeah, you'd have to capture. Well, the whole uh, skin would you.
4: presumably be made of uh, these these devices, mm-hmm. or they would be embedded. I wonder in these what devices. that weighs. Uh, nothing. They're, nothing. They're they're completely weightless.
3: Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Wow. So it's a lighter than aircraft to begin with. Yeah, that's right. What are you
2: smoking, man? (laughs) Yeah. It's good. I'll tell you. (laughs) Well, I don't know. It's an interesting concept, I guess. Uh, We'll see if... uh, I I
3: like the -the out-of-the-box thinking. We need that kind of stuff in the world. I do too. So even if it seems crazy right now, maybe it it turns into something that's more realistic over time.
2: True. Well, thank you, guests from Argentina, for uh, sending that in. And, uh, always, uh, good to hear from you. All right. You know, earlier we heard from JJ, not Pittsburgh. Guess what? We have JJ Pittsburgh now up. He sent us some audio feedback let's take a listen.
10: Hey, APG crew. It's JJ Pittsburgh here. It's been a little while. I've been uh, busy with work and came down with some pneumonia. So I was like out for a while, really just catching up on, um, Knight Rider episodes from the 80s, so anyway, um, with the coronavirus out, I was curious, because I noticed a lot of flights have been flying with very little people, as as a matter of fact, as far as I heard, Um, so being that there's a reduction in that, there may be a reduction in flights, Um, do you guys have guaranteed pay? As far as that goes, like say they had to cancel a bunch of flights, I was just curious if you had some kind of base pay that they give you as uh, per your contract with Acme, or if um, you just have to fend for yourselves. I was thinking about you guys because, I mean, generally in all kind of industries right now, people are hurting. My friend's a bartender, and she's out for like 2 weeks because they closed all the bars here in Pittsburgh so um yeah I was just curious about that and just wishing you guys good health and I'll be talking to you soon peace and love peace and love
2: peace and love man hey don't you know that
10: if I could I'd fly for free la, 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 la.
2: <laughs> just kidding <laughs> um, so yeah, we do have protections. Oh, <laughs> we do have protections um uh, which are very important.
10: That's what she said. Um
2: but uh in this case it's uh pay um protections. And so basically if we are scheduled to fly a trip, let's say a four-day trip worth twenty-one hours. And something happens, like Dana's trip, uh, the 21-hour trip that he was supposed to fly, which ended up canceling. uh, It it shrunk down to a three, and then I don't know how much of it he actually flew. What, two days of it, Dana?
5: Two days of it. Yeah,
2: Yeah, but you uh, still got paid 21 hours because that was what the trip was supposed to be worth um, before you flew it. So, yeah, we – again, going back to the union contract that we have, we have um, certain protections and all kinds of different – ways of ensuring that uh, we get a reasonable amount of pay for whatever it is, even if we don't pay it, which doesn't sound reasonable, but uh, we are, as Dana just kind of illustrated earlier on the show, um, we are obligated to uh, basically sit standby for a certain amount of time where the company can say, you know what, I know you're not going to fly the trip as scheduled, and we told you you only had to first fly the first days, but or two days of the trip. But we want you to go out tomorrow and fly this, and they can do that. Uh, that's part of our that's part of our contract and uh, protections. But you know, it's a it's not a complete win win for for the pilots in this case because, as I said, we're and it just makes sense. It's reasonable for us to you know be available to to fly some more if that flying is is needed. So. Um,
5: like right now, Jeff, I'm on twenty three. Uh, I'm on recovery flying again, or at least I'm on assigned recovery. I don't know if I'm going to have a trip, but, you know, I am available to the company for today and tomorrow because of that.
2: Right. Um, if uh, Dana and I are both what we call regular line holders, we're not on reserve. In other words, um, if something happened and we, um, you know, I think the minimum uh, number of hours that we – can be paid in this situation, even if we didn't fly anything would be like 65 hours. I think if you're on a regular line, if you're a reserve line holder, this varies from month to month, but I think it's usually around 72 to 75 hours of pay, whether or not you actually fly a trip or not. So I guess you can kind of call it sort of like a base pay or a pay protection.
5: Yeah. And I think, I think we're actually 68 hours. Oh, is it now? Okay. Yeah, I think so.
2: Yeah, 60-something. It's not quite as much as it would be with uh, reserve, on reserve, but um, anyway. Um, so that's the way. We're, but you have other advantages and benefits uh, and opportunities if you're a regular line holder as opposed to a reserve line holder. So you have a little bit more control over your schedule that way. So anyway, uh, good question. But as I uh, mentioned earlier in the in the getting to know us segment, uh, we're, we're okay. We do have pay protections. And unless the company goes down completely, we're going to be okay. So now that could change, you know, our our union and the uh, company um, are probably negotiating various scenarios and, and what, uh, what we can do to help the company out as much as possible. But that's one of those things that has to be negotiated. So good question though. Thank you, JJ Pittsburgh. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad you're better. I'm glad you don't have um, – why is this saying? Is your email still – okay, this is not a good time for Evernote to do, to do this. Wow. Okay. Um, Texas Charlie. Uh, he says, really? Since when do airliner lavatories have enough room to kneel down and lick a toilet? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Why is he asking it? Uh, He sent us a link to this MiamiHerald.com article. Uh, It says, don't do this. Woman films herself licking toilet seat on flight to Miami for, quote, coronavirus challenge. Uh, An online influencer. (laughs) I love that term, don't you? Are we online influencers? I think so. Uh, I think so. (laughs) Okay. Unfortunately. One of our fellow online influencers, did really something very stupid. Uh, she has gone viral once again, this time for filming herself licking a toilet seat during a flight to Miami in what she called the coronavirus challenge. Uh, Ava uh, Ava Louise, who first made headlines in 2019 when she appeared on Dr. Phil, hmm, uh, posted the TikTok video on Twitter on Saturday with a caption that read, please retweet this so People can know how to properly be sanitary on the airplane. Ugh. I don't think that's what I'm worried about her grammar. Yeah. I'm worried about her mentality. I'm
3: worried about a lot of things with Ava Louise.
2: (laughs) And would it, uh, okay.
4: By the way, I'm
2: an online influenza. (laughs) Influenza. Yeah. Good one. (laughs) Is that a show title, Mabel? Maybe, I don't know. (laughs) Yes,
3: online influenza. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh.
2: The six-second clip shows the Instagram model squatting next to the airplane toilet, licking the seat, and then throwing up peace signs for the camera, all with Fendi sunglasses on her head. Since the video started spreading online, the Rutgers University student has done multiple interviews, essentially saying that she wanted to take advantage of all the buzz surrounding COVID-19 in order to get attention. (laughs) Okay.
3: She's going to get more than just attention.
2: Yeah, well, if she's looking, well, so here the toilet I, seats. I highlighted. You might message.
3: not get coronavirus from that, but anyway.
2: she she also told the Miami Herald that she's felt healthy since the stunt and believes she was at no risk of contracting the coronavirus because it was a clean toilet seat on a sugar daddy's plane. I'm not sure exactly what that means. It sounds like maybe a private airplane, a private jet, and you know what? I bet that that seat was meticulously cleaned before she filmed her video. What do you believe? believe Probably. Well, if
4: she's got that much sense.
2: Yeah, then maybe not. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. New six partner WDIV reports that you can't come down with the respiratory illness by sitting on a toilet, but the virus can live up to 72 hours on stainless steel and plastic, according to CNN. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't play around with this kind of thing. That's kind of dumb. Well,
4: Captain Nigel, I believe she has actually uh, contracted coronavirus now, whether she did so from the toilet seat or not. but Was it this Brandy, person or
3: it was someone someone else who did the same thing? I forget.
4: Well, he says she contracted coronavirus uh, on Google oh. News eight hours ago. Oh, it's Google News gave her coronavirus.
2: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> then Tom, Tom seems to think that uh, that's another guy.
3: I thought it was a guy that got it.
2: Yeah. Uh, was he licking toilet seats too? Yeah. Why? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't get this
3: influencer. Is it, no, this guy licked a toilet uh, in California or somewhere ah, else.
2: I'd never do that in California. You know what? I'm pretty much. I'm pretty sure I'd never lick a toilet seat ever. But yeah. No. It's just
5: that's disgusting. Never.
2: No. No, just not a good good idea. Just no.
3: (laughs) Come on. I I do appreciate that Darwin is still at work. Yes.
2: The the shallow end of the gene pool. I'm grateful for it. (laughs) All right, let's move on uh, before we spend any more energy than we need to on that one. Thank you, Texas Charlie, for that. Anyway, hey, Glenn, who I believe is still with us in the chat room. He's uh, from Wellington, New Zealand. He sent us in some audio feedback and let's hear what Glenn has to say, shall we?
9: G'day, Captain Jeff, Captain Nick, Captain Rick, Dr. Steph, Captain Dana, and producer Liz. It's Glenn here from New Zealand with some feedback. It's been a long time since sending feedback, so I thought it was about time I done something. Um, I see there's a new book out by the legend that is Roland White. Uh, Harrier809 Listen to the Check six podcast and we were talking about his new book and it looks like a really good book for us uh, Avgeeks. Uh, he's I mean he's done some really great books and he's also got another book coming out called Damn Buster six one seven as well, which also looks really interesting. Harry eight oh nine is talking about the a lot of uncla declassified stuff and from, from the Falklands War. I was at school when the Falklands War was on, so it was of great interest to see what the behind the scenes stuff, apparently there's a lot of aircraft flying out of Chile of all places. So well worth a read for well worth adding to the library for maybe for Tiffany to add to the
2: Airline Pilot Guy.
9: Library. Anyway pleasure as always. Good to have Rick back at last. It's about time we brought the ricket rickets back out of storage. Anyway, um keep up the good appreciate the podcast. Keep up the good work of course. Uh, and stay safe out there, everyone. Let's not have anyone get the virus. Anyway, uh, Glenn out.
2: We fixed it for you in pre, I, not I in post. I
9: Glenn's, noticed uh,
4: Glenn's accent changed a little bit during that.
2: <laughs> yeah, he, he mentioned another podcast library. <laughs> I had to fix it. I forgot where you <laughs> were sending that feedback to. He sounds all right. like it's all right, Glenn. We love you like the same. It. So the book. Harrier 809 um, has been referred to our librarian Tiffany and uh, uh, again the book Harrier 809: Britain's Legendary Jump Jet and the Untold Story of the Falklands War by best-selling author Roland White. Very good. excellent. That could be right. a good read. Yes, looks like it's a good one so
3: and if you're looking for things to do with all this extra time on your hand now yes. you should check out that library and um good stuff
2: to uh yeah to work on let's see what do we call it here i'm going to our site i, think I it's forgot called... that's why we... i was fumbling for a second yeah, i'm thinking gonna oh, try and say let me, the, uh... let me help her out wait a minute oh no <laughs> i forgot that i have to turn that off <laughs> is it time <laughs> for the end of the show
3: yeah <laughs> it actually no, almost it. is i'm not sure when bookshops will be more. open I'm, I'm assuming
2: you could probably get ahead. a lot of these i on... know i know it is i'm t- just kidding. Hang on. I just got to turn he this music off. Now. <laughs> I'm trying. I got to get to my window. Uh, let's see. What you if keep I the were music outside of your window?
3: Shh. He's
5: got a personal band right outside his window. There we
2: go. It's too hard for me to explain what's happening.
3: <laughs> They're just on the beach with him there. <sighs> yes.
5: They'll be very upset when they find out what the pay is.
3: Yeah.
2: Not yet. All right. Just go back just in the, the APG with, Library, <laughs> yes, APG Library. Right. How 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 appropriate, APG Library. Gotcha.
3: <laughs> yeah, hopefully a lot of those books are available on Kindle or Amazon um, or. Uh, I think Apple a lot books. of are. Uh, yeah, that way you won't have to travel out to a bookstore, and you can do some reading in your spare time, become more knowledgeable about aviation.
2: There's a lot of books in there. Yes, mm-hmm. there are. Excellent. Tiffany's doing a great job. Thank you, Tiffany. Um, yeah, got lots of good stuff on the website. You should check it out sometime, people. All right, not at the same time though. Don't break it. <laughs> so, um, let's move on with the last item in our feedback folder. Ooh. This is yeah, no, um, number sixteen. Number sixteen, Miklos, and i He was w- with. He us was in the chat room. Earlier. I'm not sure if he still is, or, he or, is not. or not. But, yes. uh, but anyway. Uh, He sent us this. Dear APG crew, hope you're doing well. A quick update from me. I've passed my commercial multi-engine instrument and multi-engine check rides. Well done, sir. Good
1: job. Yay.
2: Nice job. Marvellous. Marvellous. Super. Brilliant. Brilliant. Wow. Okay. Uh, Let's see. Unfortunately, due to the whole corona situation, the rest of my training has stopped. So it'll be at least a few months until I can continue with the multi-crew and jet orientation courses. On the bright side, I've finished the app I've been working on for the last three years. It's called Aviation Accidents, and it gives you access to the NTSB Aviation Accident Database and investigation reports from many different countries. It also sends you a notification when new ones are released. If you'd like to check it out, the website is www.accidents.app, and the App Store link, uh, he gives us the link here. I'm not going to read that out because nobody will ever remember it, but it's in the show notes. And uh, he very, very generously uh, gave the APG crew uh, some uh, promo codes. So uh, it's like a um, it's a subscription model kind of thing. I think it's like uh, $9.95 or something like that per year. And uh, it's uh, I've already downloaded it to the iPad and um, am now looking at all these wonderful NTSB um, incidents, accidents, and reports uh, from other investigatory agencies, and it's very, very slick. So very nice job, by the way. And I've also left a review. So if any of you end up um, downloading it from the App Store, please remember to review it, and that way uh, uh, Miklos can get some more exposure out there. And uh, anyway, so thank you for, for doing this um, service. Miklos, and I hope that you make some money at it as well. And he goes on to say, thanks again for the fantastic show. It helps me to keep my spirits up in these demanding times. I wish you all the best, stay healthy, and many happy landings. Kind regards, Miklos from Switzerland. Very cool. Is he here with us? He is, yep. Oh, nice. Okay, great. Um, So check it out. I, I'm using the uh, iPad right now for the uh, – sound board. And I'm afraid if I pick this thing up and show you, uh, the, ca- uh, show it to you via the camera that I'll mess something up. So, uh, well, you know what? I can do that. Let's see. Uh, let me see if I can find it. Here it is. So it has a, um, kind of a, a very utilitarian kind of approach. It has like little, um, The date and what the incident is, and then if you click on the thing, um, it gives you much more information, a lot of detailed information about the particular incident and, you know, uh, damage to the aircraft, uh, fatalities, injuries, that kind of stuff on there. So I'm sure that we're going to be using it a lot for our show. So thank you for that extra tool that we have now, Miklos. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And thanks for the promo codes. All right, and uh, if you all want to download your own copy, there is a seven-day trial if you're interested uh, for free. So check it out, again, uh, in the show notes. With that, did I skip anything?
5: No. You no, did good. you did it all today.
2: Wow, that's awesome. Okay, so with that, um, again, mentioning our wonderful um, website, airlinepilotguy.com where you can find information about our podcasts. Uh, We have a special link to the uh, APG on YouTube. Many of you watching the live show today via YouTube. Um, APG Crew, Plain Tales has its own page, APG Library, which we were just talking about. The Coffee Fund, of course, and uh, the APG Store. If you want to get a a T-shirt or some other kind of merch, you can check it out over there and uh, a contact us tab, and the APG community calendar also has its own page. So um, let's see. We're also on the Sochmedes.
3: We are. You can check out twitter.com. We are at APG Crew. We've got all of our individual Twitter information pinned to the top of that page. You can also head over to facebook.com slash guide. Lots of community members there. Everyone sharing news and information regarding aviation. And um, hopefully we'll be back to business as usual um, at some point in the near future. So we have more interesting things to to talk about. Um, There is an Instagram account also at APG Crew. And <laughs> look at Dana's message there. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, you can also check out Slack.
2: Yes, we do have this thing called Slack, um, which is managed by Hillel. And I'm trying to find where's the shower thing here. Okay, here it is. Ah, there's our hidden microphone. We have a hidden camera in there, too. Don't tell Hillel.
3: Has he resorted to uh, using the shower since you've reduced his toilet paper?
2: Uh, yes, because, yeah, that can work out, especially if you have a handheld attachment. And don't forget to wash your hands. There we go. He's washing his hands now for the, how many seconds, Steph? 20, 20 seconds. Do okay. we have to listen to there, this for 20 there seconds? There we go. No, we don't.
8: APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K sierra lima alpha charlie kilo at airlinepilotguy.com or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at hillel and i'll send you an invitation that's hillel spelled hotel india 11 echo one and see you in slack
2: thank you hillel and as always make sure that you use soap where's the soap um it's right next to the sink thank you hillel now you can head back all right um, something else that we wanted to say before we sign off?
3: Yes, Dana is reminding you the most important thing to say before we sign off.
2: Okay. Oh, yes. Oh, very good. He's got his scrolling, um, what do we call that thing I like
3: the uh, the old school pen and paper. you put that one back up for Jeff? <laughs> this is what distracted
2: me during the social media. Oh, okay. So I didn't have this uh, screen up <laughs> at all. Thank you, Liz. Yes, our producer, product, director, and... Um, Hey, well Psychiatrist, psychologist in, in Toronto. Thank you, Liz. Without you, uh, this show would be so much better. And I mean, uh, no, it wouldn't be what? as good. Is what I mean. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, Until wait. I know, uh oh, I'm going to catch it for that one. Until next time, wishing. no be safe out there, please, everyone. Um, you know, continue to. Listen to us and review us and uh, send in feedback and be a participant in our community because it's very, very important that we all stick together in this time of, of struggle and stress. All right? So with that, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care and God bless.
3: Cheers, y'all. Stay safe and
2: everybody. Stay Bye-bye, everyone.
6: Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly a metal oh! Airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy fall I got no friends cause I'm always flying. I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline-hide I guy I, I fly up